views and opinions expressed by tonight's guest and topic of discussion do not necessarily represent the official policy or position of Spaced Out Radio. Spaced Out Weekend, Spaced Out Radio Limited, its hosts, syndicated carriers, or anyone associated with this broadcast. Any rebroadcast, reproduction, or other use of this broadcast or podcast without the express written consent of Spaced Out Radio, Spaced Out Weekend, or Spaced Out Radio Limited is strictly prohibited. Listener discretion is advised. Are you experienced? From high atop the mountains of British Columbia to you, listening around the world, this is Spaced Out Radio with host Dave Scott. You can follow us on our website, spacedoutradio.com, on iTunes and tune in. Follow Dave on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, on Facebook at Spaced Out Radio Show, or on our YouTube channel, Spaced Out Radio Show. Word is. Alright, alright, alright. Hey, mom, put down that pussy Buckle up, space travelers. It's time to go for a ride on Spaced Out Radio. Mr. Bumblefoot, Dave is ready for liftoff. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six. Five, four, three, two, one. Captain, prepare for launch. Good evening and welcome to Space Out Radio tonight. I am your host, Dave Scott. Good to have you along for the ride as we are having some fun here wherever we are on this great planet we like to call Earth. We are live right here at Uncle Jimbo's cabin right here in the great white north on this Tuesday night, early Wednesday morning if you're on the East Coast. Let's welcome in everyone listening in on SpacedOutRadio.com, on Spreaker, on the United Public Radio Network, Renegade Talk Radio, the High Plains Talk Radio Network, and on Revolution Radio. We do this thing every night of the week as we rock in. 
in and out of every show. Thanks to our resident guitar god, Mr. Ron Bumblefoot-Thal, formerly of Guns N' Roses, currently of Art of Anarchy. Get their music as well. It's pretty awesome. Bumblefoot is the official music of Spaced Out Radio. If you want to follow us on social media, you could do so on Twitter, at Spaced Out Radio. Give our Facebook page a like, Spaced Out Radio Show. On Instagram, I can be followed at Dave Scott, S-O-R. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, Spaced Out Radio Show. Find us on TuneIn. Download this show and others from iTunes, and our website is spacedoutradio.com. At this time, we want to say hello to everyone taking part, and if you want to take part in the show, you'll have to sign into one of the chat rooms. You can either go on Revolution Radio, on Spreaker, on the UPRN chat room, and on Facebook at the SOR Space Travelers Club. And if you're on Twitter... Go to hashtag Spaced Out Radio. I will get to your questions and comments in there as well. If you haven't gone to our website to sign up for the SOR Space Travelers Club, you know what? It is time. It's five bucks a month. With that, your name gets entered in a monthly prize draws. You get access to private group interviews, access to special section for postings on our website, and so much more. While on our website, you can also read up on my latest blog, check out Eric Markham's SOR Spacewire for your latest and weird news, and if you've had a sighting that you can't explain, our t- head researcher, Mike Schmidt, is waiting for you to fill out an SOR Sightlines report. He'll find out what's going on. All your personal information is 100% confidential. At this time, we want to welcome in everyone listening in on our newest affiliate starting tonight, right here, right now. Renegade Talk Radio out of Las Vegas. We are live in Sin City, my home away from home. God, I love the city there. Oh, can't wait to go back. And we want to thank everyone listening in on our affiliate, the United Public Radio Network, live on 107.7 FN in New Orleans and over 160 countries around the world. And remember, if you are listening in on Revolution Radio, the Double R Machine is the largest nonprofit radio online station going right now. Head over to freedomslips.com and donate today. For those of you who have had extraterrestrial contact, you'll know very well that the most difficult part of the whole process, besides coming to grips with your experience, is who can you talk to? Who can you tell your experience to without being mocked or laughed at? Who is going to take you seriously? Who is going to give you some direction in something they likely don't understand? For many experiencers, they don't have the choice but to stay silent, as the agony of what's happening rips through their minds and thoughts on a daily basis. And this is where people like David Chase come into the picture. David is an artist and a researcher of the extraterrestrial experience. He's also a volunteer with the late Dr. Edgar Mitchell's Free Experiencers Group. David has been drawing and depicting the images people have come face to face with. Some are quite benevolent, others uh, not so much. But there is a tie into something here that none of us, not even David, is sure of. What is the reason behind these contact situations? Is it governmental or is it something on a much higher plane? We bring in David Chase to Space Out Radio tonight. David, thank you for doing this show. You're going to be with us for the full three hours. How are you? And we are still having some microphone difficulties with David. Now, David also knows our Keith Andrews, who will be on in just a couple of nights from now. 
David has been to the Free Experiencers uh, Expo in Portland, Maine, where Keith had the picture of the extraterrestrial. And even though he didn't see it, he did have a paranormal experience there. So, Dave, what I'm going to do, and I know you're listening because I know you can hear me. Okay. You want to try talking now, my friend, because I know I got you on camera. I'm still not getting you right now. What I'm going to do is I'm going to call on your phone, okay? I'm going to call you on your phone so that way our listeners are going to hear a little bit of a ringtone. But on the flip side, we're going to get you on the air. My friend, we are going to get you on the air. I am excited about this because we need you here, buddy. We need you here. I'm going to be calling you in right now if you don't mind. So make sure that you got the phone ready. You know, because we kind of need that happening. All right, we're going to call in Dave here because we are having some Skype issues with him right now. I know he's grabbing the phone because I saw him walk away from his camera there. I got it. There you are. It. Hey, we're, we're hey. good. We're good. You yep. know what? The technical difficulties of Skype, you got to love them sometimes. But yeah. We're, Dave, we're glad to have you here, my friend, because I think you do some very important work with free. You do some very important work with helping extraterrestrial uh, contactees come to grips with what they're experiencing and what they're all about. I appreciate you doing this, my friend. I think you do very, very important work. Thank you. Yeah, um, it's it's kind of a lifetime interest and project, I guess. Absolutely. So, David, let's get started here with, with you and the person you are, because nobody really grows up to say, hey, I want to work with ET contactees. How did you get involved with all of this? Um, so I was, I grew up in the, you know, the 70s and 80s, uh, and uh, when I was, I don't know, 15, 16, um, my dad took me to see a presentation at Monterey Peninsula College by um, a MUFON member named Tom Gates, uh, who did a slideshow talking about kind of the history of UFO sightings, and uh, he closed his talk by talking about the Barney and Betty Hill case. Uh, and I just kind of became fascinated with the subject. And, of course, I'd also seen... Uh, famous documentary that was airing on TV a lot back in the 80s, uh, UFOs Are Real, with uh, Stanton Friedman, Bruce McAbee, and Ted Phillips and other researchers. Uh, so that's kind of, that was kind of my introduction to the UFO subject. Um, and uh, and I, I just figured, well, yeah, it looks like we've either got extraterrestrial visitors or, you know, I've kind of, since then I've kind of broadened my view to, you know, take into account other possibilities like interdimensional or uh, time travel or things like that. But I think it's all part of the same thing. Uh, and, of course, I was also always interested in uh, reptiles and amphibians and dinosaurs, and I used to go out in the woods and catch lizards and snakes. And then around 1990, um, early 90s, uh, I started hearing about uh, the fact that there were reptilian, not just these little greys or the Nordics, but reptilian UFO occupants that were being described in some cases. And so I just had to find out, okay, what do they look like? And uh, then I um, started attending a group uh, called UFO Contact Center, Center International, UFO CCI, uh, which had monthly meetings. Um, 
I was living in uh, SeaTac, where I am now, uh, in the Seattle, Washington area, and um, we, um, uh, you know, we're just. I was like a, you know, half hour drive away from where my friend Eileen Garut was holding these meetings every month, and so I started meeting experiencers in the early '90s, experiencers, abductees, contactees, and there's some differences, and I kind of use those terms interchangeably. Uh, but uh, that's kind of how it all began. And, of course, I've always loved to draw, so um, I started just talking to people and drawing, uh, asking them questions uh, to describe what you saw and drawing the different kinds of beings. Was it something when you were growing up that you always believed, even going to that MUFON symposium, or was it something that you had to be coaxed into? Because, I mean, as a kid, we always stare up at the stars wondering what is up there, whether it's in, by a campfire or you're camping or you're just sitting around the yard after running around, you know, because back in the day as kids we actually used to do that. You know, I loved the old games of hide-and-go-seek in the dark around the yard until mom and dad started calling me in. But you know what? It always seemed to end where we were all tired, lying on the grass, and staring up at the stars. Were you like that as well? Um, well, I certainly spent time in the woods and, uh, you know, would do chasing with with friends in the yard and stuff like that. I, I wasn't really a huge stargazer, um, but I did always watch, uh, you know, Star Trek, which, you know, during the 70s, it was on reruns all the time, and um, of course, I one of my favorite TV series growing up on Saturdays was Land of the Lost, where they had um, these pylons that would travel between times and dimensions, and uh, they had portals, and uh, uh, these flea stacks, which were kind of a reptilian-looking subterranean race. And so a lot of these ideas um, that show up in the UFO phenomenon uh, were things that were kind of familiar to me that I always was attracted to through just the, the science fiction I used to watch. And then, of course, I watched Carl Sagan's Cosmos, and uh, that kind of so showed me how, yeah, there really is reason to believe that we live in a, a universe that's full of life, that it's not just the earth and an empty universe. Um, uh, so I was, I was always open-minded to the idea of uh, beings visiting from other worlds and possibilities like that. And, and of course, the whole idea of, you know, especially in the 70s with the Apollo program and, and the com coming, uh, you know, upcoming uh, space shuttle program and so forth, I was always, you know, assumed it was kind of our destiny to become a spacefaring civilization, and I assumed other civilizations would have gone through this stage as well, and so they would probably, you know, and then, of course, there was Star Wars, which uh, showed, you know, how they could travel faster than light through hyperspace and that kind of thing, so it was a kind of a natural step, so I wasn't, I was never the kind of the big skeptic who rejected the idea of visitation, per se, although the first time that I came across uh, for instance, uh, the Anderson affair about the uh, Betty Anderson Luca contact case, um, and I saw all the detailed drawings and stuff. Uh, my mind just kind of rejected that because I figured if that kind of deep level contact was going on, we would all know about it. Um, but of course, I was pretty naive at the time, and now I realize there's probably a lot of uh, contact going on, but it's 
basically between individuals and the phenomenon, and it's not kind of an open thing uh, that the whole civilization is going to find out about, you know, unless you become a researcher or an experiencer. <laughs> now, had you ever had an experience yourself? Um, I never did. Um, you know, I had some things, uh, I mean, not at least not until 2015 did I have anything. Uh, it, previously, I'd had um, some dreams, uh, some... I'd experimented with trying to leave my body uh, and, you know, reading uh, Robert Monroe's books like Journeys Out of the Body, and and I see that as related, and it's all this stuff is related in a way. But um, uh, I never really was fully successful other than during um, kind of a borderline sleep-wake state, having a sense of displaced consciousness or once or twice seeing through my closed eyelids and at least believing that I could see the room around me, even though my eyes were closed. And so I had those kinds of experiences. But in 2015, um, which was my second year attending um, Audrey and Debbie Starborn's uh, uh, Experiencer Speak Conference and their uh, gathering afterwards at uh, Lake House in Maine. So in 2015, I had a full-fledged experience with... Um, plants moving by themselves, uh, which was uh, something, that, that was a pretty extraordinary day. That was September 3rd, 2015, and that was kind of the confirmation for me that, yeah, all these people I've been talking to over the years who've had these strange experiences, well, they actually did experience something because I experienced something myself. I know, okay, there really is stuff going on that science can't explain. I mean, not yet. Uh, something that's beyond our current understanding. So that was that was my first, so far my really my only fully conscious, unambiguous experience of anything paranormal or whether it was extraterrestrial or not, or related in some way to Bigfoot or uh, you know you know which would make it kind of a cryptid thing or you know. It, I don't know exactly what it was. Um, I, I refer to it as the Invisible Apes incident because that's kind of how I experienced it. <laughs> David, why did you decide then that you felt it was important, even though you haven't had the experience, to start looking into the research of the experiences people were having, the sights they were seeing, the beings they were coming into contact with? Because not a lot of people who haven't had their own experience are very familiar, number one, but number two, and probably more importantly, are willing to take time out of their lives to help people with this sci-fi action that is happening to them. Yeah, well, uh, for me, it was just, um, you know, I have, I've always had certain things I was interested in, um, always dinosaurs uh, studying, you know, the evolution of life on Earth and the different uh, kinds of uh, dinosaurs and and then uh, reptiles, the classification of snakes and lizards and and how they evolved. And um, so I've, I've studied all of that, but I've always been excited about uh, the, the human future in space, about, um, you know, eventually, you know, we landed on the moon, we'll eventually land on Mars, uh, perhaps colonize the solar system, uh, like 
uh, JFK said, uh, you know, to the ends of the solar system is where we'll be going perhaps someday. Um, and, of course, it always is, seemed natural to me that eventually we would go out into other star systems as well, but it would require some some radical new uh, propulsion scheme or technology that's currently only found in science fiction. But, you know, even in the 70s and 80s, there were certainly a lot of uh, ideas for building starships. But for me, that whole area, the idea of interstellar travel and um, and then even more exotic things like uh, parallel realities and and uh, then that all that was very exciting and um, and I never had reason to doubt that that was you know the kind of the destiny of civilizations like ours as as science continues to progress and they reach um, more greater levels of understanding of the universe and and how to use uh, that those laws of physics that they discover uh, to their own purposes so I was always open to it and um, you know, even though I was certainly skeptical about specific cases and and about you know for instance um, I you know there's this kind of a trap that I get into that a lot of people get into is they form a kind of a definite idea of what's going on and then the case comes along that kind of shakes that up and immediately they're skeptical they say oh no that just can't be that doesn't fit with what I know but um, I've learned it's important to to keep an open mind and look at the new case on its own merits, and often you find that find something there that will allow you to stretch your mind and uh, incorporate new uh, new things into your understanding. Uh, so, yeah, I've been open to it and kind of excited about it. And it, this is, to me, it's the most important thing that's ever happened in human history: uh, the idea of um, discovering that we're not alone and if never been alone and that contact is going on with uh, non-human intelligence as well as what look like other races of humans, uh, which that raises all sorts of interesting questions about our own origins and and evolution and, and things like that. But certainly there are the human-looking beings seen in this phenomenon as well as uh, reptilians, greys, insectoid beings, and so forth. Mm-hmm. Do you remember your first interview with someone who had an experience? Oh, um, <laughs> ah, first. Um, well, I remember um, certainly when I was in college in the early 90s, I was talking to classmates and so forth who'd had sightings of um, like a triangular pattern of lights and or you know just points that would look like stars, and then the stars would they would start moving in a particular pattern and repeat themselves and and then come back to that triangular formation so uh things like that uh but as far as the um first sort of experience or contactee abductee situation that was nineteen ninety one um at my first meeting of u f o contact center international with Eileen Garut and I met a woman named Garnett Doonan, uh, who she and her, her daughters had been having a set of uh, visitations in their apartment uh, by, um, you know, light phenomena and a uh, tall, slender female being who glowed and hovered above the ground several inches, uh, a being she she called Estartlia. Uh, and... Um, 
that was kind of the first, and she gave me a detailed description of what Astartlia looked like, that she had kind of white, frizzy hair that looked like an Egyptian-style wig more than actual hair. She had a large head, very elongated face and features, uh, hands with four long fingers that didn't seem to have an opposable thumb, sort of little bulbs on the tips of the fingers, um, and she just glowed with from within with this uh, beautiful light and wore kind of a, a gown of a sort of a gauze-like fabric and had these vertical slit pupils that were blue. Um, uh, very beautiful being, and of course fascinating to uh, to hear about this experience and Garnett's other experiences. So that was 1991, and then then and I got out of college a couple years later and was able to attend the, the meetings more regularly. And since then, just started meeting a lot more. You know, not only did I attend UFO Contact Center International, I also started t- attending MUFON meetings. Eventually, uh, UFO CCI kind of stopped meeting, but they evolved into a Seattle UFO discussion group headed by a gentleman named Terry Burris, who'd had some of his own contact experiences. Um, and, uh, you know, so, so I had a lot of opportunities to meet people, but Garnett was kind of the first real contactee I met. I want you to go back to that story because I think it's kind of important that we always remember where we came from in this field and across this journey that just never seems to end. When you were sitting down, you've never really heard a story like this before from an actual eyewitness who was giving you play-by-play detail of what she had gone through. Do you remember what you were feeling at that time? Were you all goosebumpy? Were you just trying to be stoic and professional? Or was it something where you just kind of got so enthralled with it that you kind of put the pen down or the turn the recording off and just kind of took it all in? I was um, I was excited uh, to be, you know, I realized because I'd spent, by that point I'd, watch sightings and uh well I guess sightings was just starting around that time uh, the, I guess the, it aired originally in 91 but certainly whatever had been on on unex, unsolved mysteries and things like that on Bud Hopkins research and I'd read books I'd been reading like Bud Hopkins uh books and Whitley Strieber's and I guess that was about the time that Secret Life by David Jacobs came out so so yeah I I was pretty much had become convinced that yes people are having these experiences of interacting with these these sorts of um, non-human beings and and to hear from an actual experiencer um, was was really exciting uh, to I'm talking to someone who has actually seen it because I'd, I'd always felt like you know prior to that there'd been Travis Walton and Barney and Betty Hill and there there'd just been a few cases that had been really public uh, but I always felt these people were kind of inaccessible, you know, and at some le- some level, especially back then, they were kind of like celebrities in the sense that, um, you know, there's, there were so few of them uh, that, you know, it's not like, well, I'm probably never going to have a chance to meet this person. Uh, and, of course, I've met a number of uh, people, including some well-known people like Travis Walton since then. Um, but it was it was very exciting, and I was curious. I was full of questions, and and I was trying to get as much information from Garnett as I could about, you know, specifically what interested me, which was the anatomy and uh, the physical description of Astartlia and what 
what you know what a non-human intelligent being looks like and how they function and and so forth and and this connection with um you know things that go beyond just cuz i had always thought of them as just beings like us but with more advanced technology but then uh garnett talked about how Startlia glowed uh with this strange light coming from within her body and and there was um and she levitated above the ground and of course these beings are always said to communicate telepathically and so there was always this strange paranormal aspect that i think is more than just technology it's it's almost like they've evolved and evolved in a direction that our science isn't even aware is possible um that it's something to do with the evolution of consciousness and the na- and the nature of physical reality and that kind of thing. So yes, it was incredibly exciting, and I was incredibly curious and wanted to learn more. So when you started going through these stories, did you see a plethora of patterns that were going on between people who were having the experiences, or were they all mildly different? Um, well, there were patterns and there were differences. Um, uh, I mean, I, you can talk about the reptilians, um, Reptilian beings, which to me it simply refers to, for the most part, upright, bipedal, uh, humanoid form, but uh, usually a scaly skin, usually a muscular build, um, uh, kind of usually a gold or sometimes a red iris with a vertical slit pupil, um, and almost always heavy bone structure, like uh, sometimes ridges, like a ridge down the forehead or. Uh, kind of pronounced, pronounced zygomatic arch or cheekbones, um, and really powerful muscular musculature. And then, as I was getting details, um, you know, I I started getting okay. There are multiple cases where people describe thick cords or tendons going down the neck. Uh, there are multiple cases where people describe some kind of a natural armor on the chest. But then. As I as I went through more detail, I found well, Garnett described um, kind of a single solid breastplate, whereas this other woman, um, uh, sometimes referred to as uh, Charlotte, that uh, she described it was a um, uh, it looked like a turtle shell uh, with which was divided up into like little segments, and then on the lower part of the ag- abdomen, the turtle shell just kind of graded into the uh, flesh it became more pliable and just became part of the body there so uh then then of course i also came across cases where um people didn't describe any special armor but just uh scales like the rest of the body covering the chest or um uh there were cases where people would describe wide horizontal uh what they call ventral scutes or plates uh much like you see on a snake's belly if you're especially like a colubrid snake like uh familiar north american snakes uh, have these wide uh horizontal scales and and so i've noticed well there're a lot of anatomical differences among these beings so my initial assumption was that for instance the reptilians we were probably just dealing with one species, uh, but then I discovered, well, no, that doesn't make any sense. There have to be at least four or five different species, and even within them, there's enough anatomical variation to suggest that there are multiple species of beings here, perhaps dozens, uh, in in spite of the fact that many of them had common features like the the heavy bone structure and the uh, pronounced musculature. When did you start noticing that people were having 
contact with so many different species. Because I know growing up, when I thought aliens, I thought of the greys. I remember Whitley Strieber's book Communion and seeing the grey on the front cover. And to this day, it's the only book I have never finished. And I haven't opened it since 1999. And... I don't know why. I do have to go back and finish that book, but well, I do know why. I got freaked out. You know, the, <laughs> you've read the book, right? Yes. Okay. You know the part where he's on the spaceship, he gets taken, and then he looks to his side, and his son is sitting right behind him, or right beside him. Pardon me. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's been a long time since I read it, but yeah. Okay. Well. I had just become a father for the first time. My daughter was like four months old, and here I am right into the communion. I'm getting freaked out, get to this part, and I'm like, "Uh uh-uh, I'm done. There is no way I could handle seeing my daughter sitting right beside me. So I closed the book. I still have it bookmarked. Last time I I saw the book in one of my boxes, it was still bookmarked. But there's a lot of people like that. They've only seen the grays. So with this... All of a sudden, this newfound plethora of species that are coming out of the woodworks that people are seeing, did it amaze you of all the different types of species that people were describing? Mm-hmm. It was, um, well, first of all, in response to what you just said, yeah, this idea that, I mean, the, the, Bud Hopkins has long said that, yeah, the phenomenon follows family lines and uh, if if you're an abductee chances are your parents were and that you know one or more of your children will be um and it's difficult for for parents when you know they're having these experiences and then their child comes and says oh there were the little doctors in my room you know they have sometimes have a hard time dealing with that because they don't want to believe especially if they're having trouble with it themselves they don't want to believe it's happening to their children um so yeah, that's a very kind of a poignant aspect of the phenomenon. Um, but as for yeah, the diversity of beings, I mean, I always assumed you know it would be kind of a simple thing where, okay, what, you know, we here we are an emerging technological civilization. There's probably you know another civilization here in the local galactic neighborhood that's keeping tabs on the neighbors. So you know that I would imagine they'd have maybe a couple of different species uh, of beings that would come and check out what the humans are up to and so they're keeping the earth under surveillance or something and occasionally studying people or whatever but then i found that uh gosh there are so many different variations uh you know i wanted to try to understand what was going on but so to, if i could kind of to simplify it and reduce it to one or two species would would have been you know made it so much more comprehensible uh but if you're honest and and pay attention to the details of what different experiencers are describing, you realize even the grays, uh, the anatomical variations from one person's description of a gray to another's are so so vast that you're dealing with several different species of grays as well as reptilians. And then among the human-looking ones, there are variations. And if you, it's harder to get details about the mantis types, but there's certainly uh, that that level of variation among the the mantis looking beings as well and then of course there's other kind of there's like balls of light and uh hairy things that look kind of like bigfoot and um and uh just a variety of different 
types of entities and all sorts of hybrid beings that look like a cross between two or more of the different main categories or, you know, part human and part something else. So, yeah, it, it becomes incredibly complex. Um, and that was that was kind of hard for me to to deal with at, at first because I wanted it to be simple and something I could reduce to uh, to an obvious thing. Okay, there's this one civilization coming from this one star system and and you know they may have uh, an alliance with some other civilization, but you know each one is just one or two species, and it's. But no, it, it seems much more complex than that. But at the same time, you see so many anatomical similarities between the different types that it's obvious that there's either something going on with convergent evolution, leading everything to a humanoid form, or it's something to do with their history of interaction with one another and um, you know genetic exchange, uh, however that's done. Um, but yeah, that was something that pretty much mid to late 90s, I started realizing that, oh, this isn't, this isn't fitting in my, my previous idea that it was just a couple of species. Joe in the SOR Space Travelers Club has actually posted a piece of art of yours that has drawings of 10 different grays. And I'm looking on this, and when I studied each one, man, I got goosebumps because I've seen two of the two of the eight you have you have drawn, two of the eight. That trips me out a little bit. (laughs) I have to tell you, it is uh, it is different. What made you then, with all the species that people were seeing, what made you then start to put? pen to paper or pencil or crayon to paper to draw these out what people were seeing because you're like a sketch artist yeah um well it was the only you know i I, i've always drawn you know when i was little i was drawing dinosaurs and it was kind of the only way i knew how to um to capture this information, you know, you can write a description, uh, but that's always limited. Uh, the description won't convey exactly what a being looked like. Of course, a drawing won't either because um, certain details uh, are hard to get into the drawing, but if you write a description of the skin texture or the coloration and you put that together with the drawing and draw it from different angles, then you, you get a more complete picture. You have to put words and art together in order to really capture as much of the information as you can and uh, be able to share it with others. Uh, and that's an important thing because all these all these individuals all over the world are experiencing this contact, but um, you know, they, they may assume that, oh, well, this, this person talked about a gray, I saw a gray, so they must be talking about the same beings I saw. And then they get into arguments. So, well, no, these beings were friendly. These, no, these beings were were cold and indifferent. Well, no, these they they left scars all over me. So, uh, but you know, it's quite possible that they're interacting with completely different species from different civilizations with different agendas, and uh, they don't realize that because they say, oh, it's a gray, so it's all the same. But um, that's not necessarily the case. Uh, I, yeah, got lo- I mean, I've always drawn, so that's kind of why I did it. I got a lot of people asking right now if you have a website where they can view your pictures. Um, yeah, I don't really have... Well, I mean, my drawings are in a lot of places online. Um, one 
one place I, I used to maintain pretty regularly, um, although I haven't really visited much lately, it's a, it's a sketchbook at conceptart.org. And uh, the sketchbook is called Dahamies, Reptoids, and Aliens. Uh, Dahami is spelled D-A-H-A-M-I. Uh, and um, Dahami is actually the name of one of the entities that Garnett Doonan, that first experiencer contactee I told you about, had seen. Uh, and uh, so I just like adopted that for my online name at that site. Um, but yeah, it's called Dahamies, Reptoids, and Aliens. So if you just type in uh, to a Google search keywords Dahamie and Reptoids, uh, like a Google image search, you'll probably come up with a link to the sketchbook. Uh, unfortunately, like when they migrated the server, some of the images disappeared or something, but uh, most of the, the art is still there. Do you and of course, um, yeah, on my, on my Facebook, uh, people can find me uh, David W. Chase, uh, which is C H A C E. Um, if you find, if you plug that name into Facebook, uh, you know you, you should be able to find me. Uh, just whatever. There are several David Chases, including ones with C H A C E, but um, I'm probably the only one who's got that name and is doing stuff related to UFOs and aliens. Did you find when you started drawing out these extraterrestrials that the people whom gave you the descriptions found a little bit of more healing as to what they were dealing with? Because when you see something much familiar, like when I just viewed that picture, I mean, it is a little bit of an eye-opener to see what you're actually dealing with rather than a faint memory in the back of your brain. Mm-hmm. It is... Um yeah, I mean, it's, it's, there is a kind of a cathartic aspect for people to be able to, you know, and I think more people could, could draw this themselves if they were, if, first of all, not so self-critical that their first drawing has to be perfect, you know, because um, there's a lot of, I think everyone, almost everyone can draw, and a lot of people say, oh, no, I can't draw, it comes out like a stick figure, well, how many times have you tried and have you kept trying and you pers- have you persisted at it? And, and no, they just tried drawing it once and then they crumpled it up, threw it out, and didn't bother again. Well, you got drawing is a bit based on practice, um, but you know if they're not going to draw it themselves, then they can have have someone like me draw it. And uh, and when they see it and we finally get it looking right, um, they'll react in various ways. Uh, I remember Charlotte uh, when we sat down for an hour drawing her reptilian. She's describing me the scales, and she had a very close look at this this being face, and um, and she had kind of a negative experience with it. You know, at least that's you know kind of the experience, the way she perceived it at the time, and um, uh, it was. Um, yeah, she she when we when we got it looking pretty close, she became nauseous and said, "Okay, I have to leave the room now. This is bring bring the memory back too clearly." Um, but for other people, if it's a being that they had a very loving contact with, um, for instance, Misha Johnston, uh, who uh, runs a support group uh, in the Las Vegas area, um, she had a contact with a reptilian uh, who she knows by the name of Ayano, and uh, over. Over a number of years, actually, she and I went back and forth trying to revise this drawing of Ayano, but she she said that to see 
him uh, after not really seeing him in person for you know over a decade at that point uh, you know being who was very loving to her that was um, it, it was a it was a good thing to be able to see his portrait again so um, people react in different ways but there is kind of a cathartic element to having you're being drawn or, or drawing it yourself if you can if you're up for that <laughs> I think it's absolutely great with what you're doing because you know you hit the nail on the head with the drawing when somebody gives you the reaction that they do, whether it's emotional or just downright fear. But in the end, the healthy part is the people whom are having these experiences are now understanding what they're dealing with. That's right. I mean, I think... um when, when you can, it's kind of bringing something that's been this thing lurking in their in their mind, but they haven't been able to put it in some tangible form uh, that they can they can then see and deal with in in you know the context uh, that in the context that's safe for them, like sitting at a kitchen table or something like that. I mean, when they can get it in that situation, it's it's. Uh, much better than some fleeting experience on a spacecraft or something like that. Do you deal with men, women of a certain age? Do you deal with children to try and get them to understand what they are seeing? Or do you try and keep everything on more an adult content? Um, well, let's see. I worked with... Um, when I was working with Garnett, there was another woman I was working with, and she had daughters, and I would work with her and the daughters together. Um, the, you know, the, one of the daughters was like five at the time, and so it's, you know, I think a lot of what I got out of her was probably her imagination as well, perhaps mixed with her memories. Uh, but, um, you know, always under supervision, you know, so... Uh, you know, we we knew exactly what we were doing, and um, it was. But mostly, I've I've worked with um, you know adults, uh, from, you know, basically people in their twenties to their fifties, uh, even even their sixties, I guess, in in at least maybe one or two cases, uh, uh, to to do these drawings of beings that they've seen, sometimes beings they've seen recently, or sometimes they've seen maybe decades ago. Um, but yeah, so I, I've worked with people of all different ages. What's it like working with kids in regards to this? Um, you have to be, um, patient and, uh, tolerant and you have to be humble. So, um, so you're not kind of imposing your own understanding of what the being should look like on, on them. You know, it's like, you, and it's difficult uh, if you're dealing with a child and their imagination, and you know you realize there's only a certain, depending on who who the child is and and how clear they are in their own mind. Um, uh, y y there's only a certain amount of information you're going to be able to get out of them, and you have to just accept that going into it. And uh, it's really been since the mid '90s since I've really done that. I don't remember really working with children since then. Uh, but yeah, I, I can say that you know, one time I was working with uh, one of this woman, one of her daughters, and 
and she was describing how the being faded out and disappeared and, you know, like it was teleporting or dematerializing or cloaking or something. And and I had my own, in because I'd just come out of college and I had my own understanding of how that process would work. And, and I was saying, okay, so did it become blurry or, you know, and and I felt, you know, looking back on it, you know, afterwards, I felt, oh, maybe I was imposing my own ideas on that too much and not really paying enough attention to what she was describing to me. So it's important to come in with a sense of humility and deference to the description of the child and what their experience is. is. And, and you've got to kind of remove your ego from it and um, just be as much of a channel for their the memory as as you can be in attempting to draw these things and write up a description of it. So let's go back again. When you started doing this, maybe as more than just a hobby, and you started researching, what was the reaction from your parents, your siblings, your relatives, close friends? Were they all behind you, or were they like, what are you wasting your time for? <laughs> oh, Gosh, it, it wasn't uh, it wasn't bad. Um, it was um, you know it, it, they were supportive but not supportive at the same time. It, it's kind of hard to explain. Um, I think my uh, my parents think it's great that I, I'm interested in this and it's something that I'm pursuing. Um, at the same time, they they feel like uh, oh well. Why did we encourage this? Because <laughs> it's it's sort of an obsession. Uh, um, that my my sister, uh, I think she felt uh, that when she 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 saw me interact with some of these people, and and she felt well, maybe they're a little bit crazy or something. Maybe there's something else that's behind these experiences. Um, uh, that maybe it's not literally what they seem to remember happening to them. Maybe it's something else that, that caused this. Um, and my brother seems somewhat indifferent uh, that maybe, um, you know, he, I mean, he, he's more, he's more skeptical, uh, but, you know, he's, he's interested in, in the, you know, the engineering and technology aspects, like if they have advanced technology that we might be able to to duplicate or something then that's certainly of interest to him but um he's kind of skeptical about the whole thing so he doesn't put too much attention into it but generally my family was tolerant i don't live in you know like uh, the deep south with the religious people who have objections who say it's of the devil or something like that so i don't have to worry about that because i know there are experiencers who you know have who go to church regularly and they have a hard time because um, their pastor might tell them well uh you know you can't be having these experiences that must mean you're not saying your prayers or something i got a couple questions from the audience here for you as we got about six minutes before we are going to go to our first break of the night, Eric in the Space Out Radio chat room on Spreaker is asking, David, are you familiar with the work of forensic artist Harvey Pratt? If so, what what is your opinion? Harvey Pratt. Um, Harvey Pratt. I'm trying to... Re- I, I can't recall a specific thing. Was that... Does he do beings like this, or is he more into craft and that kind of thing? Do we know? I will have to look it up. Due to the delay, he's not going to hear that for about 30 seconds. Okay. So, 
Yes, we try and get more specific on the questions here. Now i got to take time out of the show there, Preacher, and check out who Harvey Pratt is. <laughs> <sighs> the Preacher. He does Bigfoot sketches. Oh, yeah. Well, there are a number of um, these artists. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm very impressed with some of the Bigfoot artists uh, that are, are working uh, right now. Uh, you know, it's come a long way from what I remember from back in the 80s with a uh, few rough sketches by experiencers and or researchers working with them. Now you can see exactly what the facial features are, the length of the hair, uh, the the build, and, and all the details like that. So I'm I'm very impressed with a lot of the, the Bigfoot art that's out there now. I'm a big fan of it, too. i got to try and scoop a couple of pieces for the lovely studio we have here. You know, my wife just won't draw me one. I don't know why. <laughs> I asked her to. I said I want a Bigfoot and a gray. I got half. A, I got a half a gray. No Bigfoot, but I did get a nice sign for Uncle Jimbo's cabin. That's for sure. She got that for me for Christmas. Hey, let's go to Bob's question in the SOR Space Travelers. He is asking, why does there seem to be more UFO and abductions in places like South America more so than North America of late? Hmm. Um, I don't know if that's the case. Uh, it's unfortunately we, you know, the whole phenomenon is largely clandestine. It's it thrives on you know. In, you know, Bud Hopkins wrote a whole book called um, what was it? Uh, it was about the invisibility factor. Oh, sight unseen was the title. Uh, it was about the way they can. They can have a ship come down over a house and they can beam a light down and they can lift you out and no one in the neighborhood will see anything. Uh, and so some people automatically become skeptical and say, oh, that means it's psychological. But, you know, someone else in the house might have noticed that you were missing when this happened. Or, you know, so there's a number of experiences that suggest that, no, this is actually a technology. They have a, a means of hiding themselves. Uh, and then, of course, often memory is, is blocked. It's David Jacobs, uh, another researcher, he believes that only uh, a small percentage of people who have the abduction experience actually ever become aware of it. And for most, they just think, oh, maybe they've had a strange dream or a psychic experience or something, but they don't tie it to UFOs and abductions. Um, so whether it is actually happening at a higher level in South America or any other particular place uh, is, um, I, I, I can't say for sure that that's the case. Uh, so much of what we know about this only depends on who's doing research and who's coming out and talking about uh, their experiences. And a lot of times people may even be well aware that they're having experiences, but they may not want to share it publicly. Uh, so, yeah, you have to, if you want to find out about it, you have to put yourself out and reach out, let people know that, yeah, I'm interested in hearing about this, and uh, and people will get in touch with you. But as far as a, a good idea of exactly how much of this is going on where, I don't think uh, we have any way of getting that. With all of your stories that you have heard from people, and obviously you need a place to vent as well, because not everything is peachy keen. It's not all of uh, a bed of roses. What do you do to vent so that way you're not taking a lot of these stories personally? Um, vent. <laughs> well, um, I don't know. I uh, 
I play video games. <laughs> um, that's certainly. I don't. I don't have enemies in this world. Um, there's no one I consider an enemy. Um, but in my video games, uh, I say, well, I'm the red civilization, and the blue and the green civilization. They're very my enemies, like playing a real-time strategy game or something. Uh, so that, it's all, all so much simpler there. Uh, but uh, yeah, and there there are a lot of things that frustrate me. It's not so much about the phenomenon itself. I mean, that's frustrating enough as it is uh, with the way it's so hard to get the truth out of it. <laughs> But it's it's the way people deal with it and deal with each other that that frustrates me and, and disappoints me. Um, but you know, it's I figure humanity is just working out its issues, and we have to work this stuff out however we can before um, we become eligible for open contact or whatever, which is going to require us learning how to how to treat each other better, and then learning how to engage with the phenomenon and with the UFO occupants and so forth. So when you are going through these stories, and we only got about 30 seconds, when you're going through these stories, are there some that stick with you? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess the ones that I spend the most time with uh, and uh, the, the people I get to know closely and, and spent time with and um, and uh, the ones who've just had a profound experience that I relate to where I can get some good detail out of them and get some things where they describe something and I know okay yeah that's something that's something important uh, something worth remembering on that note, we're going to hop out for our first break of the night. David Chase is our guest. We're talking ET contact with more for the next two hours right after this. Would you like to become one of our space travelers? All you have to do is click on the space travelers icon at spacedoutradio.com. For only $5 a month, you can get access to some great prizes, as well as private monthly shows, newsletters, and a members-only section on our website. Become a space traveler today. Looking for news beyond the mainstream news? Head to spacedoutradio.com and check out the SOR Spacewire. This is Spaced Out Radio's Eric Markham, news director for the SOR Spacewire. Daily, I will bring you intriguing stories and outlandish reports from what's going on around the world. UFO sightings, paranormal activity, conspiracies, alternative health, and so much more. And if you have news, email me at news at spacedoutradio.com. Have you had an experience you can't explain? Had a run-in with ghosts, maybe Bigfoot, or seen lights in the sky? Hi, I'm Mike Schmidt from the SOR Sight Lines. I'm here to investigate your sighting. Head to spacedoutradio.com and fill out a report on the sight lines. All your information is 100% confidential, and I will help you figure out what you've been seeing. File your report, and let's find out the answers together. Visit purpleplates.com today. For over 40 years, the Purple Energy Plates have been delivering amazing results for their many customers. Inspired by the great genius Nikola Tesla, the harmony, healing, and energetic effects of the plates have proven over and over to be beneficial and often miraculous to thousands of customers. With their money-back guarantee and the many benefits, how can you afford not to get one? Check their site for daily specials and choose from their many energy products. You won't be sorry. Visit them today at purpleplates.com for mind, body, and spirit and 
Expect a miracle. Greetings, space travelers. I am Dave Cruz, host of Beyond the Strange Radio, live every Sunday evening, 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 10 p.m. Eastern. Each week, we have special guests and talk about paranormal, bizarre, and strange topics mainstream just won't touch. Look for us on the Spaced Out Radio website or go to beyondthestrange.com for more information. And remember, don't be a stranger, just be strange. Hasta. Are you interested in advertising on Spaced Out Radio? Head to our website at spacedoutradio.com and click on our advertising tab. There, you will find an assortment of ways you can get your product out there with us, from radio commercials to banners and social media. Have a product you like our hosts to endorse? We can do that too. Visit spacedoutradio.com for more details. Hi there. This is your medium, Joanna, from Spaced Out Weekend, Two Mediums and a Large. I would love it if you would come and join us with host James Tyson every other Sunday on Spaced Out Weekend. Together, we will take your calls and your questions live. Our goal is to provide you with a positive outlook on deep questions that you may have. Questions regarding love, relationships, money, or whatever else is on your mind. Come and check us out at spacedoutradio.com. The sounds of wood knocking in the forest. Odd happenings right out of a fictional world. These are the reports I love. Hi there, this is author Ronald Murphy. And I would love it if you join me and Spaced Out Radio host Dave Scott the second Wednesday of every month on our journey into the unknown land of cryptozoology at spacedoutradio.com. From Mothman to Frogman and everything in between. Hey, they don't call me the crypto guru for nothing. From British Columbia to Northern California, Pacific North Weird has Cascadia covered. Check out our feature videos at spacedoutradio.com where I... Vincent Zunza and my super sleuth partner Alexandra Sullivan track down the weird and strange stories from around the Pacific Northwest, from Bigfoot to Mel's Hole and everything in between. This is what makes life exciting. So why report the normal when we can report the Pacific North Weird? Right here at spacedoutradio.com. Oh, there's only one way to rock loud and proud. In high definition, Radio 702 Rocks, Las Vegas. Every Saturday and Sunday night, as Dave Scott wanders aimlessly in the wilderness, you can come hang out with me, James Tyson, and Spaced Out Weekend. Starting at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern, I'll take you along as we talk with some of the best experts in their fields. SpacedOutRadio.com is the place to find us. So sit down, relax, put your feet up, enjoy the topics like the paranormal, supernatural, intuitiveness, and so much more. Hope to see you there. The views and opinions expressed by tonight's guest and topic of discussion do not necessarily represent the official policy or position of Spaced Out Radio. Spaced Out Weekend, Spaced Out Radio Limited, its hosts, syndicated carriers, or anyone associated with this broadcast. Would you like to connect with us? Head to spacedoutradio.com for all your latest show info. And hit us up on Twitter using the hashtag SpacedOutRadio. Now, back to Dave Scott and SOR. Welcome back to hour number two of Spaced Out Radio tonight. I am your host, Dave Scott. Good to have you along for the ride. Tomorrow night on the show, Eric Markham and Everett Themer. 
are going to join us. We're going to get heavy into 2017, what we can do to bring credibility back to paranormal journalism, paranormal science. We're going to get into it with Eric and Everett tomorrow night, starting at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern time. It's going to be a really good show, so you're going to want to tune in for that one. We want to thank our newest affiliate, yes, Renegade Talk Radio out of Las Vegas, our home away from home. We're glad to be broadcasting live as of tonight on Renegade Talk Radio. We're also proud to be a part of the United Public Radio Network, live on 107.7 FM in New Orleans and over 160 countries around the world. Thank you for making us part of your evening, morning, daytime, whatever time zone you are in. And if you're listening in on Revolution Radio, remember... The Double R Machine is a donation station financed by you, the valued listener. Do us a favor. Head on over to freedomslips.com and donate today. Bill Cardwell has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club, so if you're a space traveler, use it wisely. Omphalo Psychic. Omphalo Psychite. Psychite? Omphalo Psychite. I think that's it. I think we may have nailed that one. Omphalo Psychite. That's what I'm calling it. Anyways, I probably got that wrong, but that's okay. Bill Cardwell sets a password on every single night. He always tries to trip me up. Damn Bill Cardwell. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can do so at Spaced Out Radio, and you can also use the hashtag Spaced Out Radio in order to chime in with a question or a comment. We are active there. You can follow us on Facebook, Spaced Out Radio Show can get me on Instagram, Dave Scott, S-O-R. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, Spaced Out Radio Show. And, of course, you can tune us in on TuneIn, download this show and others on iTunes, and our website is spacedoutradio.com. While there, we have a plethora of features for you, including joining the S-O-R Space Travelers Club. It's only 5 bucks a month. Use it wisely because it's a lot of fun. And we don't want you having too much fun around these parts. Tonight we are talking ET Contact. David Chase is our guest. You can find all of his alien art. Go to facebook.com forward slash David W. Chase. Chase spelled C-H-A-C-E. I highly recommend you do that. David, welcome back. Glad to be back. Well, I'm glad you're back too, my friend. <laughs> you know... In this hour, I want to get into contact because a lot of people out there have contact, whether it's benevolent or malevolent. You also volunteer your time with Dr. Edgar Mitchell's, the late Dr. Mitchell's group, Free, that he started with Renario Hernandez, amongst others. And what's the importance of having a group like Free out there? Um, that's important because right now what what they're doing is they're um, doing surveys, uh, surveys online through SurveyMonkey, uh, where people are uh, basically uh, experiencers are encouraged to uh, uh, f- fill out these surveys where they kind of uh, answer answer a lot of detailed questions, giving um, what happened to them, when did it happen. Um, what did they see? Um, what you know? Did they have psychic experiences related to this? Um, all sorts of questions about exactly what their contact was, what kind of beings were, um, and uh, you know they're able to then do some analysis and look for patterns uh, in the data that comes out. And uh, and I know that some people have had some frustrations with the survey. Some of the, the you know there's like 
you know, there's like the phase one survey, the phase two survey, the, the phase three survey, you know, and and uh, sometimes this, the, the surveys are long and the questions are long or, you know, the answers are often long, but uh, but we really appreciate all the, the time and effort that people have gone into uh, to answering these questions. Uh, and uh, that is contributing to human knowledge, uh, you know, in the in the future. Uh, I mean, at some point, we're going to have a much better understanding of what this phenomenon is all about. There's so many different approaches to it. Um, David Jacobs has his own approach. He's the historian out of Temple University who wrote Secret Life and uh, and uh, the Threat and a number of uh, you know. I guess his latest one is called Walking Among Us uh, about the idea of hybrids. Uh, Actually, coming down and living here on Earth, but um, uh, you know, he's he's got one approach. Free's got its approach with the surveys, focused on to a, to a large degree on conscious recall. Although, actually, um, one of the things that comes with each question is like, well, now where did this information come from? Did is this a conscious, explicit memory? Was it a uh, lucid dream you had? Was it? Um, you know, telepathic contact or hypnotic regression, or, or where where did you get this information? So that brings some degree of clarity to you know what the source of the specific memory or the specific information is. Um, but uh, my my particular role in that has to do with you know what I've always been interested in, which is figuring out what the different beings look like and uh, kind of uh, looking for you know how many people are describing grays or or whatnot and. Uh, you know, I haven't been as engaged as I would like to become uh, as time goes on, but it's it's sort of a long-term project. So as long as we can sustain it, uh, it'll be going on. What are those surveys like? You mentioned some are long and arduous, others are short. But what is the importance of getting these detailed surveys done? Um. Well, this is. Uh, I mean, the the last time anything like this was attempted that that I'm really aware of uh was uh in the 90s uh Dan Wright uh of MUFON at, at the time uh from 19 what was it 90 91 to the start of 97 I believe uh 91 92 it's 92 to 97 uh was involved in uh what was called MUFON's abduction transcription project which involved um, soliciting tapes of uh, hypnosis sessions and interviews uh, from researchers and therapists who were engaged uh, in in this sort of uh, research. Uh, you know, people like David Jacobs, Bud Hopkins, Yvonne Smith, John Carpenter, and so forth. And uh, so these these audio tapes were sent to uh, to you know the team of volunteers to be transcribed, and then uh, Dan Wright put the information into a computerized database where he could search for common words and phrases or or descriptions where people were obviously describing the same thing and and through that project the transcription project Dan Wright was unable to identify um you know what he he went in in his presentations he referred to as five themes uh within the abduction phenomenon uh and I don't have those in front of me I can probably remember them one was um you know, an alien connection that people feel, this feeling of being a starseed or feeling that they are connected to these beings in some way that they don't quite understand. Um, 
uh, you know, or may, maybe have had parallel lives or past lives as as such beings, uh, that kind of thing. Um, and then another aspect of it was like you know predictions of the future. Um, of course, a, a big aspect was the hybridization project. Like many of the procedures done, seem to involve uh, extracting sperm and ova, and then um, people see these uh, you know fetuses growing in in tanks of liquid, and then later these uh, children that they're presented with and told these are your ch ch this is your child, and um, so that's an important aspect. And another aspect of the phenomenon, uh, which was something that I was very skeptical about early on, but has kind of asserted itself continually, is this idea of um, military or government involvement that, you know, among not only are we dealing with different groups of entities or aliens with, as Dan Wright described it, overlapping yet differing agendas, but we're also dealing with... Um, you know, at least one and possibly multiple human groups, which may be, are some some aspect probably of what we call the the military industrial complex, and they seem to be concerned with uh, reverse engineering alien technology that's recovered and figuring out what the what the ETs are up to, and uh, and uh, and of course that the problem with that aspect of the phenomenon is then it it goes into um, it, it goes. It fits well into a lot of people's conspiracy theories, which I think conspiracy theories have gone a little bit crazy uh, in recent years, and and they just keep coming. And uh, so I'm I'm always incredibly frustrated with the the degree to which people are willing to believe all the conspiracy theories without really um, trying to, you know, say, well, let's let's stay very skeptical about this and not just accept it merely because it's it kind of confirms like my darkest suspicions I've always had or whatever. <laughs> Do you find in the case of these studies that there is a big difference between and we're talking percentage wise here, between the benevolent contact compared to something that is more malevolent? Oh, I, you know, I don't actually. I mean, I know Ray Hernandez, who's uh, one of the movers and shakers in free. He's he's very focused on on the idea of um, benevolence and the expansion of consciousness that takes place with this phenomenon, and and certainly that's there. That's an important. You know, there is there is benevolence behind a lot of this. Um, I I I yeah. I mean, it, it's hard for us to understand because they don't interact with us the way we interact with each other. Um, I kind of, gosh, I focus on um, the descriptions of the beings, and uh, of course I'm interested in why the beings do what they do, but you know, I don't have any real direct way of knowing that, so I, I go with my own feelings, I guess. But um, again, my, my basic philosophy is that eat every life form in the universe acts according to its own nature, in whatever interactions it has with other life forms. Uh, and of course on Earth we have animals that live, um, you know, li live together, like they have some kind of cooperative relationship, or uh, we have predator-prey relationships, we have, um, uh, you know, uh, things uh, that, that work together though. So, I mean, there's a lot of altruism and I, I, basically everything operates according to its own nature and uh, 
and I don't worry too much about negative versus positive. Uh, I, I say that one, one, one thing that does bother me is how the reptilians are repeatedly, you know, they become one, the focus of a lot of these negative conspiracy theories that the rept- reptilians are out to control us and they've taken over our politicians and, uh, and our celebrities and so forth. And uh, in my communications with the experiencers, I don't find much evidence of this. Uh, I find, you know, that's an interpretation some people have, and a lot of it is um, pure supposition. Uh, most of the reptilian contacts I'm familiar with are more like a, a bedroom visitation. The the darkest ones are kind of what you would call a rape situation, uh, and that does happen. Uh, but very often the, the contact with them is more uh, kind of like a guardian or a teacher or a kind of a, a very benevolent relationship between the reptilian and the human being as if um, that that the reptilian is part of the person's what we'd call a star family, like they're connected to these beings from other lives or, or some situation that we don't understand couple questions from our audience. We'll mix them in. Eric is asking, David, have you ever seen the E.T. Species book out of Russia that shows all the different 57 species that have apparently visited Earth? I think, uh, I think I've seen bits of that online. Um, I wasn't especially impressed. Uh, you know, it's, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of information that's put out, but what is the source? That's always the important thing to know. And I'm I'm more interested in um, you know not just assuming that this information is credible without you know knowing exactly okay who described this and what was the context in which they got the information. What what experience did they have? Um, so people try to compile information from different sources and so forth, but. Um, the, the source is very important in exactly how how much of it is interpretation. And, and sometimes with, with all the situation lately, we've had a lot of problem with fake news and people making stories up out of whole cloth. And then if it resonates with someone, you know, that people will believe that and share it and, and so forth. Uh, and that will kind of not be, not be of the, the highest journalistic value. So... Um, yeah, I, I, I think I've heard of this, and I think I've seen it, but I, I wasn't especially impressed by it. Yeah, that book is said to be a lost or stolen uh, Russia, uh, what's their spy agency back in the day, KGB, uh, KGB. KGB book. You know, and I, I'm not usually sure when I it. hear when, when I hear a story like that, it's like someone's trying to make something sound important and I need to know more about the exact source of the information. If it was presented a little better, um, you know, that, you know, I, I just wasn't impressed. <laughs> what got me intrigued about that was there was a couple of these weird sightings in British Columbia where the last time they've been seen on Earth. You know, you have to read it. You Just Google, if, if our audience who hasn't seen it, you want to check it out, just Google Russian KGB alien book, and you'll be able to read up on it for free as well. It's, it's a very short read, but an intriguing read nonetheless. You mentioned a moment ago about the fake news and how that ties into extraterrestrial contact. You know, me being a former journalist... 
length of 10 years. I take that one very, very personally. And I have made very, very bold statements on this show regarding the garbage, if I can use it that way, that is coming out of so-called alternative media sites. You know, a lot of people had turned to the alternative media to find out the true source of information, but now the alternative just seems to be all about fear-mongering and fake news. When it comes to extraterrestrial contact, do you think that this type of disinformation that is going on out there is really doing any type of disclosure or alien contact, any service whatsoever? Not really. I mean, in some sense, this is everything happening in the world right now is part of part of human karma that needs to play out. Uh, and so in, in that sense, yeah, it's part of um, what we all signed up for, I suppose, you know, before we were born into these lives, but uh, at the same time, that doesn't mean we sh- we should just accept it. Uh, um, you know, I when it, when it comes to someone reporting a personal experience, I always try to give everyone the benefit of the doubt. Um, but uh, when it, you know, when someone's just claiming something and. Um, and and it seems like I get these little red flags uh, that indi- indicate that they're just trying to get something to spread and get clicks on their on their advertising sites on their website or something. Then uh, then I'm skeptical and I'm frustrated and I'm disappointed uh, because um, I mean the 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 main thing that's driving fake news, uh, which I will define as um, news that's you know, where certain aspects of it are simply made up out of whole cloth. Uh, they, they just, you know, say, well, maybe pl- people will believe this and share it, so let's write this as a headline and make up some details for a story. Uh, it's mainly financial. Uh, that's It's financially driven because there there is a lot of money to be made uh, by, by creating fake news that if it gets enough clicks uh, and gets enough shares, then, um, then people... Each of these clicks brings people a couple cents, and if they get millions of clicks, well, you know, it can, they can get rich doing that. So, uh, it's it's a bad it's 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 a lack of professional ethics and a lack of personal integrity. And I think professional ethics and personal integrity are kind of some of the last things we have to uh, hold back the tide of the darkness. <laughs> I think it's sad that the public really does not have a place to go for sound and credible news, maybe outside their local news source. I think that's Mm -hmm. the only journalism left, because if it's on a national or international stage, or if it's online, I'm going to call it right now and say about nine nine times out of ten, it's full of crap. You know, everything has has its own bias, and... And the, I think the best people can do is become familiar with whatever bias may be associated with any particular source, and and kind of uh, kind of so when when they get information from that source, they understand. Well, okay, we have to think they might be biased to saying this things this way, or promoting this idea, promoting this group or this agenda. Um, you know, it's, it's a matter of kind of media literacy. Um, 
You know, I don't like to call too many people out, but I, I have to say I'm fairly disgusted with Alex Jones uh, and oh, you just, Wars. You just hit the nail on the head right there. <laughs> uh, you know what? There is a man, and I've never met the man. I used to follow him because he was on such a good path. But the, And I apologize for cutting you off. I, I normally don't do that. <laughs> but there is a guy who has taken this to a whole new level, and it is sad that he has a couple million followers who dote on every word of his bullshit that he, that he spews. I mean, this is a guy who has incited riots and fights at political conventions. He's lied about breaking news. It's ridiculous. Fear self and uh, hate self, uh, and uh, that's 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 what's what goes on, <laughs> uh, you know. And and I hope people will eventually just get tired of um, hate and paranoia, and uh, you know, will we'll kind of want to uh, question uh, some things that they've just assumed. I mean, I think what happened is like a lot of people, you know, over the past years as alternatives to getting your news through the television became available and people felt the, the TV news wasn't really giving them all the facts that they wanted. So they turned to the alternative, but the alternative sources weren't always, um, you know, very often had, uh, even more of an agenda and less integrity than the the TV news sources. So, um, so now we've got chaos. <laughs> well, let me and, ask you and, this: then. what do you think of of somebody like Alex going on about Hillary being a reptilian, the Queen dining on virgins so she can live longer off of their blood because she's a reptilian too? I mean, where does this type of egomaniacal journalism come from? Uh, personal character flaws and unresolved issues. <laughs> uh, ego, uh, you know, uh, I mean, I can't say, you know, I'm, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and assume he believes himself what he's spreading and whether that's true or not, I don't know. But uh, that whether he actually does believe it. But, um, you know, I, I saw a video that showed him just emoting, uh, kind of practically crying about how bad everything was in the world. And, well, you've chosen to believe that, but um, but why? <laughs> so I assume uh, these people have their own uh, psychological issues or whatever that caused them to just accept that things are really bad. Um, yeah, but what happened? What happened to the day of actually checking your sources? Yeah, <laughs> uh, not everyone seems to understand the importance of that. Not, I mean, in investigating the paranormal and UFO experiences, it's important to be both very open-minded and also rigorously skeptical. And as Stanton Friedman has always said, you know, he's a nuclear physicist who's been one of the most important UFO researchers and lecturers of, of the past decades. Uh, he says it's important to have a big gray basket. Uh, so as you as you hear something, and you're not sure whether to believe it or not, uh, well, don't assume it's necessarily true. Don't assume it's false. Just put it in your gray basket. And uh, I have a huge gray basket, so. It's, it's all that stuff that, well, it's going to sit there until I find more cases that confirm this or um, 
or it just sits there and nothing ever confirms it, in which case, you know, there's a good chance, well, maybe it was spurious or misinterpreted or, or whatever. Question from Joyce in the SOR Space Travelers Club. She is asking, could brain damage be the underlying issue that allows some people to believe the un- unbelievable? That's certainly a, a component. I mean, I, I'm i not a psychologist, and um, I, I don't know. I, I know that there's different personality types, and um, cer- certain people, you know, people look for patterns, and and people like to believe that they understand what's going on in the world, um, and uh, and certainly the the belief in conspiracy theories offers comfort in the sense that, like, oh well, it's it's it, you know I understand why this event happened. Uh, this was you know, people see see a, a mass shooting and immediately they assume ah it's a false flag. This was a Manchurian candidate, and you know they they haven't even you know, no one. This is early. No one's done an investigation, and they just know automatically. And it's part of, always, they believe part of some, some agenda to take people's rights away or so, something like that. Um, and I say, well, maybe you should wait and not assume anything beyond, you know, what you've actually seen reported. <laughs> uh, so whether it's brain damage or, um, you know, just uh, individual. I mean, I, I, I know that abduction phenomenon and covert my lab experiences or what, you know, what they call military abduction operations by this covert group within or groups within the, the military industrial complex, that's going to leave trauma and people have post-traumatic stress and, and, you know, consequences of post-traumatic stress, it may play itself out in ways. And I, I do feel victims, people are victims of psychological warfare, I think. Uh, there are forces acting against UFO disclosure, and uh, part of you know part of the trauma people experience is, is you know some of that agenda. But you know I, I don't want to go too far with with those speculations because again it's all hidden and I don't really know what the truth is. And you know I'm not going to just assume it's worse than it necessarily is. Uh, there's no, I'm an optimist, and there's no advantage in to me and not being an optimist or having a paranoid outlook on the world. No, very understandable with with the way that works because in the end, you know, we're about the ET experience. In the end, we'd li- all like to see disclosure. Do you think the public is ready for disclosure because personally, I don't think they are. <laughs> um I don't think we have to worry about whether they're ready or not because I don't think it's going to happen until they are ready. Um, but at the same time, if I could press the button now and make disclosure happen, I would do it. And um, and if civilization was to collapse as a result of that, then I would say, well, that's just what was meant to be. Um, I think there's a moral obligation for the people who have the capability of doing so to disclose, uh, you know, it's, it's like this is one of the most profound scientific questions that people have wondered about for ages, and we've invested so much in trying an- to answer it. Are are we alone in the universe? Uh, and uh, you know, let the cards fall where they may. Um, we've, you know, it's, there's times when you just have to do. Well, this is the right thing to do, so we need to do it. Um, but I think I don't think it's going to come 
until people are ready. I think uh, it's going to happen because I don't see it as a top-down disclosure. I see it as you're doing this this radio show and, and experiencers are speaking at conferences about what happened to them, what they saw, and and it's 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 coming from you know it's coming from the experiencers. It's coming from the researchers, the people within the community. It's not like the president is going to say, "Oh, and by the way, uh, we did recover an alien craft at Roswell," and and I'm not even convinced that the elected government has access to the materials. Uh, you know, I don't. You know, if if Obama wanted to pull out a flying saucer, I don't know if he he would be able to get. Uh, hey, General, what General, whatever you know, can can you please bring that alien body out to, so I can announce this to the world? And I think uh, the general might tell him, uh, "Sorry, you don't you don't have uh, you know you, you, you're not powerful enough to know that. You know that's like part of our secret cabal here or whatever." I'm not trying to make this political, but I do want to ask you this question in regards to if Hillary would have won the election. Do you really think she would have followed through with John Podesta's requests on extraterrestrial knowledge and disclosure being brought forward? Well, she she when she did announce her and uh, she she asked answered that question. Uh, by you know, a journalist up in the Northeast, I believe, uh, where she she said, well, yes, she would like to disclose because she knows that people have experienced something. Um, but at the same time, if if there was a legitimate national security issue, she wouldn't uh, release any information that would compromise that. Um, I, I believe she wanted to disclose, but um, but you know, she would. You know, she was beholden to whatever group she was beholden to. So uh, I don't know if anything would have happened. Of course, I don't know. I don't know that Trump has enough credibility to disclose uh, because people might assume it's just like another one of his tweets. You know, unless he could actually provide the saucer and the bodies. You know, I. So I mean, I think Trump just saying it wouldn't really carry a lot of weight. Uh, I mean, maybe to some of his supporters it would, but you know that. That's not going to. That's that's not real disclosure that the whole world can get behind. So, uh, you know, I think the only way we can do disclosure at this point is from the bottom up, from the experiencers, the researchers, from trying to bring out the information we have about UFO sightings in uh, with as much journalistic integrity and personal integrity and honesty and clarity and transparency as we can while still at the same time we have to protect the sources who need to be protected because there's certainly a lot of experiencers who need their privacy maintained and so forth. Um, But we have to do the best we can to disclose from the bottom up. What was your reaction when here we had Podesta literally going off on Twitter, in the papers, begging reporters to hit Hillary up on the alien question, on the disclosure question. And yet, here we are dealing with probably the second biggest story in mankind's history next to Christ himself coming down from the heavens, and the media dropped the ball. Were you no. surprised by that, or do you think there was something no. more to that? Um, I think... 
Podesta feels that the phenomenon is important and he would like to see disclosure happen. And, you know, I usually don't get political, so that's just my opinion is, you know, I have, and I'm not going, I'm not going to get in a debate with people who say, oh, no, he's, he's part of some evil agenda or something. But, uh, you know, I think he, he honestly wanted to dis- see disclosure, disclosure and he kind of did what little he could to encourage it to happen. But uh, the media is the media and they're going to do what they're going to do. And they've, they've for a long time, they've kind of um, poo-pooed the, at least at the national level for the most part, have poo-pooed the, uh, the idea of UFO visitation and so forth. And, and it's only, you know, I mean, I think some of them do see that there's ratings in it, but at the same time, um, they're kind of caught up in just the, the patterns that have, have been going on now. There's there always the ridicule factor. There's, you know, this this whole thing has been to some degree. You know, I don't want to get into big conspiracy theory, but I do think it's been to some degree controlled the way the media deals with this um, from from the late 40s on to the present. Uh, the present, and um, and so I think he he tried with little he could, uh, and the media is just gonna. Do what they do, and uh, there, there have been there have been people who've who've been courageous. Um, oh, I forget the the woman reporter uh, who at one of the White House press conferences during the Obama administration uh, uh, mentioned the the issue. I guess this was during the campaign uh, in in regards to something Hillary had been asked or something, and and that was brave to do that. But um, yeah, I don't see. Um, I don't see the media, you know, in the in the immediate. I mean, I I know people who are in, involved in in the media, like you are in, in your own way, and and uh, in, over time, things are going to change. But it, it these, this is something that's been playing out for decades, and it's going to take a while for it to come full circle, <laughs> so to speak. I just don't know. If it's the public that's ready because of all the fear-mongering that has gone on, or whether the government, and let's focus on the United States here, is more concerned because they're a hell of a lot more tied to it than what they want to admit. And that could, be, that could be a lot of egg in their face. <laughs> well, there, there is going to be egg on people's face. I don't think the elect... I mean, we have a new administration every four to eight years, you know, in the United States, so... So people, but then of course there's, there's, you know, the the people who carry over, you know, within certainly within the intelligence community and the sort sort of the shadow government, and they're it's only those people who are who are there for those long periods of time for decades who can really say that well yeah I was responsible for covering this up or whatever, but. Uh, you know, it's just, it's going to take time, and things can sometimes happen a lot faster than you think, so we'll see, but, uh, you know, I used to be very optimistic. I mean, for, for, you know, back in the 70s, there were, you know, people in military contacting TV producers saying, hey, uh, we're going to get you um, information on this UFO event if if you'll do a documentary and disclose for us, and, and people have been expecting 
disclosure for so long, but uh, it, it's it's going to take its own time. <laughs> so getting back to the question of whether or not you feel people are ready for disclosure, if it happened, and yes, that is a big if at this point in time, what do you think would happen? Um, a little chaos in the stock market. <laughs> I mean, you know, people, strangers, you know, we had 9-11, we had Trump getting elected president, uh, and we've had a number of uh, kind of unexpected things happen, and uh, people have dealt with it all right. And uh, uh, so I think it's just one of those other things that a lot of people are not expecting to happen, but I don't think it would be the end of civilization and for some people it'd be very exciting it'd be like oh well maybe they have some uh, you know as a Richard Dolan uh, UFO researcher and historian pointed out uh, you know whatever these craft are using to get from point A to point B it's it's not petroleum so there's there's certainly disclosure brings a lot of possibilities for creating a better world um, so yeah, I think there would be a little bit of chaos in in the short term, but I think in you know over you know years and decades, civilization, even the United States, <laughs> would be just fine. I think of religion. I think of groups like the NRA. I think of a lot of these libertarian type groups who are kind of on the cusp of, you know, almost wanting an anarchic-type government. I think of all these different groups out there that seem so unstable at times that this could throw a whole wrench into humanity. Never mind American public, Canadian public, Russian public. This could affect all of humanity. And I don't know with the grasp that religion has on so many people around this world, I don't know if it's the right thing to do. I don't know if it is possible because I could see a lot of these religious people absolutely going haywire, wondering what, why their religion has covered this up for centuries. I don't yeah I don't think religion has covered it up uh I think they've interpreted it um there's a reverend Barry Downing who wrote the book the bible and flying saucers uh and uh he says that you know from his perspective that perhaps the uh the intelligence behind the UFO phenomenon is the same uh intelligence that has been behind uh, biblical miracles and so forth, that it's uh, really the, the same source. And uh, that's not to deny, um, or, you know, I, I don't subscribe to a religious interpretation of anything myself. I'm, I'll say I'm a non-theist, uh, but I do uh, believe in a spiritual reality, uh, and I, I think that, uh, that this is a universe full of life, and we are, um, you know, all these different beings are just different. Um, you know, a lot of the times people, what people say is a spirit guide or an angel, it's really the same type of being as an extraterrestrial, and it's only the nature of your experience with them 
that leads you to interpret it one way or another. If if a, a blonde man shows up out of nowhere and and uh, rescues you uh, from some impending accident or something, you'd say, well, maybe that's an angel. But if you see that blonde man wearing a uniform on a spaceship, you say, oh, that's a Nordic extraterrestrial. And uh, if you're getting messages from him uh, telepathically from distance after you've uh, read a book on uh, how to contact your spirit guide, you'd say, oh, that's my spirit guide talking to me. Uh, you know, and, and certainly uh, I don't say it's just some Nordic guy. It could be the re reptilians, uh, reptilians, greys, mantis types. Everyone plays these multiple roles. Uh, and uh, they're not being. I mean, you can ask, you can say that when they portray themselves one way, they're being deceptive. But I think it's, you know, so much of what they are is, you know, they're just being themselves, and it's up to us to interpret them how we wish to interpret them. Mm -hmm. So I don't worry too much about religion. I think, um, I think, you know, there's always going to be those extremists, those fundamentalists, those who are going to have a hard time with it, and they might create some chaos for the other people, but that'll that'll go away as the phenomenon reveals more of itself and, and what it is. Uh, and people will say, okay, we really don't have to be afraid of it. Mm-hmm. I still don't believe that people are ready. <laughs> and, and, and maybe not. <laughs> you know, I, I just see... And I'm, I, and I'm trying so hard not to see the negativity behind this. You know, but I think there's a real, real chance that it could collapse society. I really do. And I don't mean to harp on that, but I just don't see the benefits of it helping humanity. I mean, because we don't know how long that time of transition would actually be. We just can't comprehend that right now. Yeah, I mean, disclosure or open contact or whatever it is that, that's, that I believe is coming eventually, I mean, that will be the biggest change for, for us, you know, to just to realize we're not alone and have always been part of what some people call a spiritual reality, but what I believe is simply the nature of life in the universe. Uh, you know, when we discover that, uh, then it will, it will be... Um, it's the biggest event in human history, and it's going to take time. And and I think, uh, as individuals, uh, as someone who does a, a radio show, or as a researcher, uh, as an experiencer who talks about their experiences, our job is to to help people get ready for for that new awareness, a new that that kind of expanded sense of what our universe is and what our role in it is, and who else is here with us. Uh, so we don't have to worry about civilization collapsing. Uh, we will, uh, you know, disclosure is going to happen at its own pace according to what people are ready for. And certainly for the individual who suddenly has an abduction experience and they've never believed in any of that, you know, that 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 may seem to be going faster than they can handle it. But for society overall, I think it'll it'll proceed at just the right pace. Uh, and perhaps that individual, it's just part of their spiritual growth to go through that experience. So, so. I'm not worried. Well, 
John has an interesting question at hashtag Spaced Out Radio. He is asking, what would you do if the extraterrestrials land and tell us this is the first ever alien contact? I would immediately be suspicious of their announcement. Um, it might be the first contact from that group, but how how would they know? I mean, always, you know, they are not... I don't think any of these beings interacting with us are all-knowing. And they may say, you know, I I, I know there's one experiencer who's the aliens. He interacts with, told him apparently that there are no reptilians. And then I've interacted, I've I've talked to a lot of experiencers who've had ongoing contact with reptilians. uh, And and I, I don't have any reason to to think that uh, those reptilians were really something else. And I know there are situations wherein a being will appear as a Nordic and later the person that will discover, oh, you're actually a reptilian and you just revealed yourself to that to me that way, uh, you know, because you felt I could handle it better. And uh, So I don't know. I, I would be suspicious. Uh, you know, with, with aliens, ETs, whatever they are, just as with human beings, you have to... Uh, you know, assess each source for its own credibility. <laughs> every every form of life acts according to its own nature, and uh, aliens are no different. <laughs> Do you think that part of the disclosure or lack thereof is a disinformation tool used by the government? The fear. I think of Hollywood. I think of video games that always seem to use extraterrestrials in a negative connotation. I mean, you look at Fire in the Sky back in 1995 when that came out. Everybody was crapping their pants that this was a true story, yet Travis Walton, whom you know and is a friend of yours, has come out and said, well, no, that wasn't the ending at all. That's not what happened. That's a Hollywood myth. Yeah. Um, Well... You know, certainly Travis, uh, Travis, you know, I mean, the the movie was true to the emotions associated with the experience and some of the drama that took place in the town. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the, the actual experience was completely different. He encountered Nordic-looking beings who smiled. He encountered smaller fetus-like beings. Some might call them a variant of the greys. Um, but they weren't hostile and scary and doing really scary, dangerous things like uh, the beings in the movie. Uh, But I think that's just Hollywood doing what they think is going to make money. (laughs) And they understand, just as the conspiracy theorist uh, who runs his uh, website uh, knows, uh, fear sells. And uh, Hollywood producers know that. Uh, I I, I understand that, but Jordan Maxwell... I don't know if you're familiar with his work. He would disagree with that. His Hollywood connections have told him that basically they are told not to make E.T. seem so benevolent and nurturing towards mankind. Apparently, whoever's telling people to do this, they didn't get to Steven Spielberg because uh, Close Encounter to the Third Kind and E.T., Two of the you know the most popular ET movies of all times, both um, 
portrayed the aliens as very benevolent. Uh, I mean, Close Encounters, of course, there was that whole lead-up where you're wondering, well, what are these aliens? Are they really benevolent or not? But in the end, they turned out to be kind of just here to say hello. Um, so I, I, I really think that uh, the people in Hollywood, they're really guided more, you know, by what they think is good for their pocketbook and not so much. But then I do know of cases... Uh, for instance, Kim Carlsberg, I believe, wanted to get her abduction experience made into a f- film where there seemed like there was interference from some level. And it may just depend on... Because some of these experiences are close to the truth. And I, I think for, for in her experience, there was a my lab aspect. And I know um, there's, you know, there may be some, some, some people who are uncomfortable with pe- people putting that on the screen into credible of fashion so I don't know I mean I think there's some degree of interference but I think for the most part the Hollywood producers are just trying to do what they think is going to make money I can see that what about video games though um basically the same thing uh I mean the people who make video games um you know they they want to create whatever it is they I mean you've got a lot of artists involved and they think they have this really cool idea for for an for an adventure and some aliens and something uh and then of course you've got their marketing department and their their kind of corporate people who say well no I don't think it's going to sell if we do it that way so we have to change this but you know I don't I don't I haven't heard any story that would suggest that uh the, the video game makers have been interfered with uh you know, and and I think some of that may have gone on in Hollywood to a certain degree, but I think it's limited. Uh, so, yeah, I'm not ter- terribly worried about. It. I think it's just a matter of, you know, when people are ready for it. When 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 everyone's ready for it, it's disclosure is just going to happen, and it'll. And I I think to some degree, uh, all the excitement about you know aliens uh, for for. Part of it is just that they make a good adversary for, um, like, a military action film. You know, you want to have some uh, aliens coming to to fight or something. But uh, it's it's really just uh, just people's people's fears and uh, interests playing out on the big screen <laughs> or on their video game screen. I can see that. I can totally see that. However, there is the theory out there when it comes to video games that the reason why they post extraterrestrials in such a malevolent nature is that they either A, want people to be afraid of them, or B, feel so inhumane towards them that if they do act up, they will kill them. I know that sounds very conspiratorial, and I probably should have a tinfoil hat on while I'm saying that. But there is that reality to it that a lot of people believe that this is a way, especially for younger generations, to get used to what they are seeing for future disclosure. Yeah, I am concerned. Um, I had a friend tell me about kind of what seemed like a a MyLab event, although it was remembered kind of like a dream. Of course, a lot of those MyLab events are because of uh, the drugs they use and so forth. Um and uh she was shown like a video of um the military uh you know this is military um 
general or whoever came to her and and uh, said, "Well, we're we want to uh, you know tell people about how these greys are kidnapping our children and uh, and uh, that if you if if people see them, they should get in touch with us so we can." help them deal with with this experience with the with the grays and it's like it's almost as if this they were and and they they were looking for her cooperation to spread their message or whatever it was like they were preparing for the post disclosure world where they want you know i think that faction in the military wants to have disclosure happen on their own terms according to their own agenda with whatever covert war they think they're fighting um, or whatever, whatever they're trying to or trying to get from the ETs. Um, but I don't worry about that too much. Uh, I mean, there's just so much that's going on behind the scenes. Uh, there are different ET groups. Some are working apparently uh, with some of the the covert human groups, and some are working at cross purposes with them. And and it's complex and it's all hidden. Um, but it's not something that you need to worry about, I think, unless you're personally involved. And, of course, a lot of people are, but a lot of those people don't even realize that they are. We're down to our final minute here before we got to go to break, and we will talk more about my labs right after the break as David Chase is our guest. If you want to check out his alien art, go to facebook.com forward slash david w chase chase is spelt c-h-a-c-e and remember if you are listening in and taking part in twitter send me a message use the hashtag spaced out radio to get things going there you're listening to the mighty s-o-r i am your host dave scott we'll be back right after this break the SOR Sightlines is a place for you to find answers to your strange experiences. Hi there, this is Mike Schmidt. If you have had an encounter with ghosts, UFOs, Bigfoot, ETs, or anything else that doesn't make sense, head to spacedoutradio.com and file a Sightlines report. All information you give is 100% confidential, and I will personally help you find the answers you need. SOR Sightlines, your answers are a click away. Greetings and salutations, space travelers, from the Chronicles of the Unknown team. What is Chronicles of the Unknown? I keep hearing about this thing. It's a new paranormal reality TV show based right here in beautiful British Columbia, Canada. Follow our team as we uncover claims of activity on the Caribou Gold Rush Trail. You can also follow us here every third Monday where two members of our team will be available to answer your questions. We'll give you some equipment updates and some of our experiences on the road, right here on Spaced Out Radio. Hi there, I'm Butch Wachowski, lead investigator with Euphorcop. On the final Monday of every month, you can listen to me and host Dave Scott on Spaced Out Radio's Strange Days. We're going to get to the heart of the matter when it comes to what's happening out there. People are seeing and experiencing things from ET contact to Bigfoot, and I want to hear about it. Your experiences are what we investigators need to help solve these unknown mysteries. So tune in at spacedoutradio.com to the final Monday of every month from Butch Wachowski's Strange Days. 
Visit purpleplates.com today. For over 40 years, the Purple Energy Plates have been delivering amazing results for their many customers. Inspired by the great genius Nikola Tesla, the harmony, healing, and energetic effects of the plates have proven over and over to be beneficial and often miraculous to thousands of customers. With their money-back guarantee and the many benefits, how can you afford not to get one? Check their site for daily specials and choose from their many energy products. You won't be sorry. Visit them today at purpleplates.com for mind, body, and spirit, and expect a miracle. This is your medium, Joanna, from Spaced Out Weekend, Two Mediums and a Large. I would love it if you would come and join us with host James Tyson every other Sunday on Spaced Out Weekend. Together, we will take your calls and your questions live. Our goal is to provide you with a positive outlook on deep questions that you may have. Questions regarding love, relationships, money, or whatever else is on your mind. Come and check us out at spacedoutradio.com. Have you checked out the SOR Spacewire at spacedoutradio.com yet? Every day we post the latest stories regarding the weird, strange, and completely unbelievable. From cryptid and UFO sightings to the conspiracy world, we tackle it all. Hi there, I'm Eric Markham, Space Out Radio's news director for the SOR Spacewire. And if you have a story, I want to hear it. Email me at news at spaceoutradio.com. Patrolling the Pacific Northwest, we are always on the lookout for the strange and unassuming stories that real people are experiencing. Hi, I'm Vincent Zunza from Pacific North Weird. Me and Alexandra Sullivan have teamed to bring to you those odd stories that never seem to make it into the mainstream. Stories so weird that we'll leave you scratching your head wondering, is this real? It's as real as it gets with Pacific North Weird. You can watch our videos right here at spacedoutradio.com. Become more intimate and interactive with Spaced Out Radio. Join our Space Travelers Club with your new membership. For $5 a month, we'll provide you with special access to the website, monthly prize draws from books to psychic readings, along with monthly newsletter, private interviews, and more. Sign up today to be part of Spaced Out Radio's experience. Every month on Spaced Out Radio, we look into the deep and dark reports of cryptids roaming around the world with me, Rob Morphy, from Cryptopia.us. I would love it if you would join me and host Dave Scott as we delve into the most arcane stories and reports regarding creatures of the unknown. My job is to hunt down the details and bring the evidence forward to you. These aren't your regular Bigfoot stories I'm talking about either. You can find out more about crypto history at spacedoutradio.com. Looking for a place to advertise at a very reasonable cost? Look no further than Spaced Out Radio. Spacedoutradio.com has an advertising tab that you can click to check out our daily, weekly, and monthly packages to play on the radio or our website, including social media. From commercial spots to banners, we have it all. Check out our competitive pricing today. You hear footsteps in the empty room above you. A rocking chair begins rocking by itself. Don't be afraid of the things that go bump in the night. Reach for Spirit Story Box. The iPhone app the Huffington Post UK called the only ghost hunting app you will ever need. Spirit Story Box. The spirits are telling their stories. Are you listening? Strange creatures lurking in the night, the sounds of wood knocking in the forest, odd happenings right out of a fictional world. These are the reports I love. 
Hi there, this is author Ronald Murphy, and I would love it if you join me and Spaced Out Radio host Dave Scott the second Wednesday of every month on our journey into the unknown land of cryptozoology at spacedoutradio.com. From Mothman to Frogman and everything in between, hey, they don't call me the crypto guru for nothing. Did you know that Spaced Out Radio runs seven days a week? Hi, it's James Tyson from Spaced Out Weekend. Every Saturday and Sunday night, starting at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern, you can join me and my guests for some great chatter about what's going on out in the universe or even in that dark part of the basement you really don't want to go back into. Well, let's find the answers to your experiences together. So come on up to Uncle Jimbo's cabin on the weekend. For more information, look us up at spacedoutradio.com. The views and opinions expressed by tonight's guest and topic of discussion do not necessarily represent the official policy or position of Spaced Out Radio. Spaced Out Weekend, Spaced Out Radio Limited, its hosts, syndicated carriers, or anyone associated with this broadcast. You're listening to Spaced Out Radio with Dave Scott. Follow Dave on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio and hashtag Spaced Out Radio. And on Facebook, Spaced Out Radio Show. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to Space Out Radio tonight. I am your host, Dave Scott. Good to have you along for the ride as we enter into hour number three here with our guest, David Chase. We're going to bring David on momentarily. Tomorrow night on the show, we're going to get into 2017. Which direction paranormal science and paranormal journalism should take? We're going to be joined by Eric Markham and Everett Themer. It's going to be a great show tomorrow night. They'll be with us for the entire show. They're going to jam-pack it with information because there's a lot of do's and don'ts in that field, and we got to get more into the do's than don'ts. 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern time at spacedoutradio.com if you want to tune us in live. We want to welcome in everyone for the first time tonight listening in on Renegade Talk Radio out of Las Vegas. Yes, we are live in Sin City. Great to be right with you in my home away from home. If you're listening in on Revolution Radio, it is a donation station financed by you, the valued listener. Do us a favor. Head on over to freedomslips.com and donate today. And we want to welcome in everyone listening in on the United Public Radio Network live on 107.7 FM in New Orleans and over 160 countries around the world. Thank you for allowing us to be part of your broadcasting listening. Bill Cardwell has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club on Follow Psyche. And I'm not saying it again because I'm going to butcher it. But you know what it is, space travelers. Use it wisely. And if someone asks you what the password is for, just say exactly. Bill sets a password each and every night right here on the Mighty SOR. Hey, if you're a social media junkie like I am, follow me on Twitter at Space Out Radio. And if you want to connect during the show, use the hashtag Space Out Radio as well. Also, you can follow us on Facebook. Give our page a like, Spaced Out Radio Show. On Instagram, I can be followed at Dave Scott. 
S-O-R. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, Space Out Radio Show. Tune us in on TuneIn. Download this show and others on iTunes. And our website is spacedoutradio.com. While there, we have a plethora of features for you, which means you can also also join the SOR Space Travelers Club. It's five bucks a month. David Chase is with us tonight. We're talking extraterrestrial contact, reptilians, greys, my labs. David, welcome back. Glad to be back. Right before the break, we started to touch on my labs, and you have an interesting take on this because you strongly believe a lot of extraterrestrial contact may not actually be if I'm correct, but it might be actually my lab action that is going around still taking people. Oh, I wouldn't say that. I, I would say that the my lab aspect is a component of the abduction phenomenon. Um, that uh, there are multiple groups of, for the most part, non-human intelligent beings, or in some cases, human-looking ones, like the you know what we call Nordics, who are interacting uh, with abducting, contacting uh, human beings uh, for a variety of purposes. Uh, but there are also um, a couple, you know, prob- probably at least a couple of these compartmentalized uh, covert human groups. I mean, um, you know, a lot of abductees, experiencers, contactees, a lot of them see... Um, you know, suspicious helicopters, like military helicopters hovering over their property and things like that. And when that happens once, you think, okay, maybe that it was just in the area for some kind of uh, surveillance or of something it was doing. But, you know, if, if it happens to you multiple times, and you begin to think, okay, is this related to my abduction experiences? <laughs> um so yeah, it's a component. I think you know the reason that the MyLab phenomenon exists is because the, you know, what we call the ET abduction phenomenon exists. I mean, they're they're following up, they're keeping tabs on what the aliens, and of course they're they're interested in some cases maybe in the psychic abilities of the abductees uh, and uh, things like that. Uh, but it's you know it's it's a big complex picture. <laughs> Do you believe, then, that the government has a big part in trying to play with people's minds? Um, yeah, and, and I wouldn't even say the government. It's, I'd say groups within the military-industrial complex, which can mean um, uh, groups within intelligence agencies, like maybe the Air Force Office of Special Investigations or Naval Intelligence. Uh, uh, it could be... Um, groups within uh, aerospace corporations, like kind of paramilitary groups that are, have some affiliation with this um, government contractor or something. Uh, but they, they, I do think there is a psychological warfare component uh, to kind of, and a part of it may be keeping the lid on the UFO abduction phenomenon to, to a degree or to, to the whole, not just abductions, but the whole interaction with uh, non-human intelligence, and of course, if someone is very interested in getting as much of this alien technology as they can get, and of course, controlling the way that um, disclosure takes place. They want it to happen according to their own terms, and 
And I'd say we, you know, I, I feel a lot of conspiracy theorists are really overly paranoid about this. I mean, uh, and I, I think the the funny thing is that these um, agencies, uh, these covert groups, they're also rather paranoid. And, and I think, uh, you know, it, they might benefit from chilling out a bit and uh, just say, you know, let disclosure happen, let contact happen, and see where, where things ends up, end up. Uh, I mean, of course, maybe maybe some of them know something that I don't know, and they're doing, I mean, obviously they would, because I don't have knowledge of all that goes on, but, um, you know, I, I think they're doing some, you know, kidnapping and interrogating people uh, and so forth is not necessarily a good thing to be doing. Uh, so... Uh, yeah, it, it's a complex picture, and there's some issues. <laughs> These MyLab experiencers, are they all ET contactees as well? To my knowledge, they are. Uh, that That's why this happens to them. Uh, that they've had, you know, they've had, you know, they've been involved in a hybridization program, or uh, the aliens are testing their psychic abilities, or... Uh, you know, something like that, something that would be why they would, you know, or they maybe they've seen um, a propulsion system of a craft or, um, you know, something along those lines that they've seen, they've seen some alien technology that this covert group wants to get its hands on or they're displaying some ability that the covert group wants to make use of. Um, so I, I do believe, and a lot of, you know, because I've talked to, I've talked to people experience this, but, uh, you know, a person who's talked to more than probably anyone else, uh, as far as I'm aware, would be Melinda Leslie, who's a MyLab experiencer herself. And yes. uh, she's one of the most, um, you know, kind of coherent people to talk about this aspect of the phenomenon, because it's hard for people to talk about it without immediately going into the grand conspiracy theory of, you know, the whole world is a big MyLab operation or <laughs> something like that, uh, which, of course, is uh, exaggeration and nonsense, uh, in my opinion. <laughs> but the MyLab phenomenon itself is very important and very real and does uh, traumatize people, and uh, the people involved should, um, I mean, deal with it as best they can, and the people responsible for it should um, maybe think maybe this isn't the best way to go about uh, dealing with alien contact. How would these MyLab groups know that these people whom they are using are all ET contactees? That's a good question. Uh, that's a very good question. Uh, they they know from Bud Hopkins' research, I mean, they, they've probably been onto this longer than he was, uh, uh, because I assume it goes back, you know, to the 1940s. Uh, Carla Turner, uh, the late Dr. Carla Turner, and her, you know, both the experiencer and researcher, she came out with MyLab type events happening, like certainly back in the 50s. Um, uh, so that I'm sure they know it. How it runs in family lines. So if they've known someone had a UFO sighting, they may have followed up and said, "Well, that wasn't just a sighting. This person's probably an abductee." So we've got someone else to bring into our program. Um, uh, so, yeah, and then um, 
you know, I, I assume the whole issue of psychic spying and all that probably plays into this as well, that they would have, um, you know, you know, there was this, you know, publicly known psychic spying program that I guess was that research done back in the 70s into the early 80s or whenever that was going on, and then officially that all ended, but I'm sure there was probably more more going on uh, behind the scenes because uh, that's what people's experiences uh, seem to be indicating. So they have, they have they have ways of knowing. <laughs> Let's just say that it is strange how they're able to pick that up. And when it comes to MK Ultra and the MyLab experiences combined, do we see a whole different ball game with MK Ultra thrown into the mix here as well? Well, yeah, MK Ultra. All I can really say about that is that I guess that was I think during the '60s, and that involved. LSD experiments and and things like that, and that was a program that was acknowledged and was was ended. And of course, people talk about MK Ultra as if it's still going on, and there probably are programs going on, but I don't think they're called MK Ultra anymore. Uh, so I don't know what what those programs are, and uh, that may play into this somehow. But um, all I can say is a lot is going on, and a lot is hidden, and you know, it's. I don't really have any answers on that. Have you ever been visited? Government um, officials followed men in black? No, not really. I mean, um, I posted on a website once that, you know, I saw this kind of this white van in my neighborhood that uh, its windows were all blocked off, you know, but... Um, but that just happened once, and uh, there was no reason to suspect. I, the only reason I posted about it is because I noticed, well, that's the kind of thing a lot of these experiencers report. But it wasn't, like, right in front of my house or something. So I was probably just being a little paranoid at the time. Uh, but, uh, you know, nothing ever really um, happened to me as far as intervention by, you know, you know, military intelligence or any, any anything like that you know as far as i know of course a lot of the the thing with the you know we know that uh from people's reports that they do in you know they have means various means electromagnetic means apparently means using sound waves uh devices that generate a sound wave that influences your consciousness and then drugs they can inject you with uh just with a needle or something like that uh that will you know, affect your short-term memory, or you so said they can even have a whole experience. And you know, I've, I've talked to a couple of people who've had an experience where uh, someone in their neighborhood or their roommate or something has, see, you know, ha- seen them visiting with or, or yelling at some military people who are in their home, and then the next day they have no rem- memory of that ever happening themselves. So um, stuff goes on, uh, but it hasn't happened to me as far as I know. <laughs> I haven't had it happen either, and I'm not saying that it's not going to happen, but it often makes me wonder when I hear people who are my lab experiencers or or UFO contactees, or maybe they look into you know things a little bit too deep, and regular people with a curiosity much like you and me, because realistically, not many of us are that special to be in the know. 
and yet they're being visited by men in black. They're being followed by blacked-out SUVs. They're being, you know, they say there's always black helicopters flying over their yards. So I guess my question is, is a lot of this just paranoia, or do you think that regular folk who are having experiences are being visited by men in black and government programs? Well, there could be some paranoia. This might account, you know, from people misinterpreting maybe a mundane event that, you know, just was some some kind of coincidental thing. But, uh, you know, I I think maybe the people who are having these repeated overflights by black helicopters or whatever, maybe they've maybe they're actually more involved than they realize in the uh, the ET contact scenario, and so. They think that they're just a regular person, you know, and as far as they're concerned and their neighbors are concerned, they are, but um, but maybe as far as the uh, this covert group uh, is concerned, they're not. They're someone of interest to them. Um, so, yeah, uh, I do believe a lot of that's going on. I mean, the, the way... the way, It took me a long time to... Because to, Bud Hopkins always kind of downplayed the MyLab thing and, you know, back in the 90s, it wasn't until the end of the 90s that we even coined the term MyLab. Uh, it was an hel- author named Helmut Lammer who came up with that. Before that, we just referred to it as you know, military intervention or military abduction or whatever. But, you know, it's only a, a, an accumulation of cases where I found that, you know, people were reporting things happening in with human vehicles in a human environment, no you know, no great ET involvement, um, but it seemed to be related to their ET experiences in some way. Uh, you know, I wasn't convinced of this aspect of the phenomenon right away because it's it kind of it's more paranoid than 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 most of you know. I usually just kind of give people the benefit of the doubt, and I'm going to think with our government denies involvement. They, and of course, the thing is, the elected government probably is pretty much uninvolved. You know, apart from moles that uh, are in there from these covert groups in the intelligence community or, or whoever they are. Um, so, you know, I it's not, um, I don't think of it as the government. I think of it more in terms of the military industrial complex. But, you know, it's, it's something we have to uh, acknowledge that some of these things happen in abandoned buildings, uh, on military hospitals uh, and underground facilities and but places with which have things like desks and pencils and linoleum floors and uh, clearly human environments and it's not all ET uh, that goes on but it seems to be happening because of the ET stuff that people are dealing with so what do you think in deep in your mind what do you think men in black are um that's that's mul- multiple things um, because the, when people talk about men in black, I think Nick Redfern in recent years has done some of the best research, uh, and a lot of that is just compiling old research. But he's done some original research as well, and um, so he, he's, I think he's got two or three books on men in black phenomenon, and uh, so you can refer to his books. But um, I, th- I think in some cases they are some aspect of you not not even necessarily human intelligence community, but maybe the ETs have their own intelligence community or uh, some covert thing that's somewhere between human and ET, if that makes any sense. Um, and then some of 
some of what we call men in black may just be human, some aspect of human military or, or Air Force intelligence, naval intelligence, whatever. But, um, yeah, I mean, the, the, when we talk about men in black, we're talking about multiple things. Because some of these so-called men in black are actually telepathic and uh, and they don't look quite human and so forth. So uh, it, there's more than... When we use the term men in black, we have to be careful about exactly what we're talking about because there are multiple uh, phenomena or multiple kinds of beings that are, are referred to by that term. Do you believe, then, that there is a mixture of both human and extraterrestrial MIBs? Yeah. I mean, I think the term MIB refers to 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 humans. It refers to ETs. It refers to... Uh, something that's hidden that manages human interaction with ETs so, so it's a number of of a number of things <laughs> when it comes to people who are targeted do you think that there are certain generations or certain groups of people that are targeted for this because there's a lot of people who have side effects. One of them maybe being Morgellons disease. Um, I don't know. I've heard of Morgellons disease. Um, I don't really know. I mean, I don't know if that's connected with, um, you know, with, with, I I really don't know what that is connected with. uh, some some of it could be uh, paranoia. You know, some people might just assume that they have some medical condition uh, based on something they. You know, certainly there's a lot of people who think they have a gluten allergy because someone on TV promoted the idea that oh you should stop stop using gluten. You have any, but you know a lot of a lot of those people probably don't. Uh, you know, and of course some do, you know. Uh, and with Margellans, it could be the same way that some people may actually have some mysterious disease that create, causes these threads to form under your skin and has these issues with your nervous system and so forth. And because there are a lot of things that we don't know about as far as the medical field is concerned. Um, but I really don't know how that's related. And I, I don't know uh, that you're... You're reaching the limits of my knowledge. That's okay. Let's move on here. I want to talk about the paranormal experience you had when you yeah. were at the Experiencers Conference in Portland, Maine. Explain yeah. that to okay. us in detail, what happened again. All right. Well, um, so in 2014, I guess it was end of August, start of September, um, that year I went to speak. I was invited by Audrey Starborn uh, to speak at her Experiencer Speak conference in Portland. And, um, and, uh, and I had um, that, that year we had the situation where, like, after the conference, uh, we, we went to this lake house uh, where, you know, some of the people involved have this uh, meeting. It lasts a few days, uh, kind of a campout situation. And, um, uh, like like at least three or four of the psychics in the group, uh, you know, because we were pretty much all contactees or most of us, uh, and uh, three or four of them actually predicted that there would be a sighting that night and it would happen in a particular part of the sky. And and lo and behold, later when we did our close encounter of the fifth kind, you know, where we attempted to you know meditate and shine flashlights in the sky and contact them, 
there was a bright flash in the sky in that area. And unfortunately, I was having a terrible time trying to keep my eyes open. I was very sleepy and I was cold and and my eyes happened to be closed at exactly the time when that happened. So I was disappointed uh, with that. I just just missed having my own sighting, which would have been my first, you know. Um, but then the following year, 2015, I I went. I just attended the conference. Didn't speak that year, but um, I um, after the conference, we did the gathering again at the lake house, and um, that year I was able to spend uh, most of a week there. Uh, and so I believe it was a. Thursday, uh, it was September 3rd, 2015, um, and uh, it was, uh, there was only uh, seven or eight of us left, because at the start of the week, there had been about 50 people there, but over the course of the days, people have to go back to work or whatever, fly back home or drive back home, and uh, by Thursday, there were only only a handful of us left, and um, uh, it was early afternoon, um, and there was a loud crashing sound. I mean, that Audrey was out on the back deck of the house there, and she called everyone out to see what she was seeing in the in the gully next to the property there. And um, uh, we we looked out and we saw a tree come down. But the odd thing was the tree seemed to be coming down in stages, as if some invisible force was pushing and pulling at it. And um, we didn't know what was going on. I thought, well, okay, maybe I've never seen a tree fall before, so maybe this has some. Maybe the roots got weak, and it was just gravity had somehow pulled it down. And there had been a little bit of light rain earlier in the day, so maybe that had softened up the soil just enough or something. But um, then we went down. This was, I don't know, about 1:40 p.m. or so. Uh, so then Audrey and Deb, Debbie, her sister, twin sister Debbie, and I went down to the rim of the gully and watched the tree fall from like close up where where it just kind of landed and was still settling into the ground and we what we saw was um it looked like an invisible uh an invisible being was like client jumping from one part of the branches on what had been the top of the tree but was now practically lying on the ground uh, and it was like we would see the the branches depressed under its weight, and then they would spring up, and it would then they would fall flattened down like next to it as if it just jumped. It seemed like two or three of the well, probably about one or two. I mean, it didn't seem like three at that point, but um, I'd say large um, ape-like. Uh, I mean, just based on the the kind of movement we saw, it reminded me of a large ape. Um, uh, because it, when you when you for instance if you're walking in the woods and you hear a rustle in the leaves you know you you know by the sound of that uh, or and if you look down and you, and you see the pattern of how the leaves are moving you know if it's been a lizard or a snake or a small mammal you can kind of tell and these kind of movements just reminded me of an ape or a primate um, so we were about 30 feet away looking down into the gully and I didn't want to get closer because the tree was still coming down it wasn't totally settled yet and so I was thinking aha trying to come up with a rational explanation maybe what I was seeing was um, that as the tree was settling um, some of the branches it was like getting caught uh, and then uh, there would be tension stored in the branches and then a branch would break and then it would slip a little further and it would cause the branches to spring up and maybe that was causing this ape-like movement because I wasn't ready to to admit to myself that I was seeing an invisible being affecting a tree. Of course, I think Audrey and Debbie, having had a lot of experiences with the paranormal, were 
much more accepting of what their eyes were telling them. And I was, but I was making jokes about the movie uh, The Predator, you know, with Arnold Schwarzenegger, where they were saying, well, we better look for the three red dots for the Predator's laser finder and make sure he's not targeting us, you know. Uh, because in the movie The Predator, it was very similar. It was this invisible being moving around in the trees. Um, of course, in The Predator, you could actually see an outline or a silhouette of the being. In this, we didn't see anything. All we saw was the, the way the plants were moving. Uh, so I took took a couple photos, but you know, of course, they're still photos, and they don't show anything moving. And for the most part, I wanted to kind of be respectful of the phenomenon. So I was just documenting the fact that we are observing it. So I took photos of Debbie and Audrey watching it, but I didn't really take a lot of photos of the tree itself at that point. Um, and then, um, then, then we went inside, uh, you know, uh, because the movement seemed to be quieting down. And I think Debbie felt she was getting telepathic communication saying, oh, it's time to go inside now or whatever. And, and of course I never felt my actions were any way under control. I was just trying to be deferential, uh, and respectful to, to Debbie and Audrey and to whatever this phenomenon was, uh, you know, even, if if it was at that point, I was still thinking it could just be some mundane thing involving tension in the branches. Uh, so we we were inside. I worked with uh, Debbie to do a drawing of a of an alien she'd seen called Hartley that had kind of a heart shaped head. So she named it Hartley, which is sort of like a gray. Uh, and then um, Debbie and I were working on that on the back uh, deck of the house. And then um, Lee and Raquel. Uh, Raquel had been down in the gully, and uh, Lee, uh, he's this uh, guy from the UK who was over visiting uh, for the conference, and and uh, then I hear Lee uh, uh, basically, Kirk cussing, uh, he says, bloody F in the hell, and he runs up out of the uh, out of the gully, you know, and it's like, I said, hmm, this is interesting, I wonder what Lee just saw, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking to myself as I'm finishing up uh, with Debbie's drawing, and, and uh, so then... It is getting to be around, you know, that must have been like 3.30, 4 o'clock, and then uh, then I finished with Debbie, and then so Lee and Raquel have gone down to, to, you know, basically Raquel said, don't be jumpy, and come on, let's go look at it, and just sit calmly, and don't worry. And so Raquel and Lee and were down there watching it. So about 4.18, 4.20, some, sometime a little after 4, because I kept checking my watch to see what time it was uh, so I can kind of document what was going on. I went down, um, kind of carefully walked down into the gully. It seemed like I was—I was—I I guess I was barefoot at that point, uh, but you know, I was watching the tree to make sure it wasn't going—the the part that was still standing wasn't going to fall on me. So I was ready to jump out of the way if that kind of because that, one thing I didn't want is to to have my parents get a phone call saying their son had been crushed by a tree. It would have been a bad way for my little trip to Maine to end. Uh, so. But I, f- I felt okay to to come down there, uh, and Lee and Raquel were there, and they were fine. And um, then as I got close to this bunch of branches, almost like a bush, which was really the top of a tree, uh, there was this big movement. Uh, and I said, okay, at, at that point in my mind, um, I said, okay, so they've just been watching some kind of animal moving around in a tree, because I knew at that instant that I was watching an animal, that an animal had caused that movement. Uh, and so, okay, it must be a raccoon or a squirrel or something, and I'm looking, and I'm not seeing anything like that, so maybe it's a bird. You know, I'm looking, I'm looking in the branches, and I'm not seeing a bird either, and and then there's, like, another movement, and and so at that point, 
I knew it wasn't just tension in the branches. I knew it was an animal causing this. I also simultaneously knew that if an animal was causing it, I would see the animal. And at the same time, I knew that I was not seeing the animal that was causing this. So I had this, like three con- three things in my in my head, and, and it was like a contradiction. It was, um, and at that point, I realized this is paranormal. This is something that's unexplained. Uh, it's not tension in the branches. It's not um, it's not an animal I can see. Uh, it's something invisible. It's something possibly interdimensional. Whatever I don't know. Uh, maybe it's something cloaked, like a cloaked alien. But, you know, I did notice that the movements reminded me of, like, um, you know, as we observed more, I saw some small movements, like the branches shaking right in front of me. And and I was just a couple feet away. You know, at, at points we were, like, inches from where this this was going on. Um, and uh, we were just kind of sitting there, like Indian style, like watching this. And... Um, and I, I, I thought popped in my head, oh, that's like a marmoset. This is like a small monkey causing these. So there were the bigger movements were like an ape or a large chimpanzee, like jumping up and down on the branches or you know, kind of dropping down to the branches from higher up. And then there were smaller movements that reminded me of monkeys. But everything made me think of like if you watch a nature video, like on on you know a documentary or something, and and uh, you see monkeys or primates playing in a tree. And you just digitally remove uh, the, the monkeys, and all that's left is the movement of the branches. Well, that's exactly what we saw. Um, and so, you know, this this basically went on for about 40 minutes. And about 5 o'clock, Debbie was getting her telepathic messages saying it's time for, you know, the the, the beings to go home now or something like that. So we kind of very respectfully uh, walked out of the, out of the gully and I was picking up some trash you know there were some little bits of broken potted plants and stuff uh, you know and like old maybe old paper plates because I, I wanted if these beings are moving in to make a home in the gully maybe that's why they brought the tree down which is what we assumed happened uh, so maybe um, I wanted to be respectful and leave them with a good clean home but um, that was you know a good 40 minutes out of a whole afternoon of the various activity happening in that gully is the most paranormal thing I've ever experienced. And I guess I said exactly that to Lee at the time. This is the most paranormal thing I've ever experienced. And it wasn't terribly emotional. Um, For me, it was just exciting to have confirmation that, yeah, uh, you know, I've talked to people who've seen reptilians materialize in front of them and so forth. And, And to have the confirmation, yeah, that these kind of abilities do exist, that something invisible and apparently ape-like was actually there with me in the, in that gully. Um, but we did notice that there was no odor, there was no sound apart from the movement of the branches, and um, we couldn't hear it breathing. So I think it was more along the lines of interdimensional than merely just invisible, uh, if that you know makes sense. That was that ex- the experience for the, for the most part. I mean, it, there was a little more to it, but that's the main thing that happened uh and it was kind of a, one of the most important experiences of my life and actually this past year 2016 i spoke at the experiencers speak about what happened there in 2015 <laughs> and i think thank audrey and her sister debbie for uh, you know and their their mom nancy for allowing me to have that experience because i figure whatever it was was there because they were there in some in some 
way or another. Uh, because when someone's an abductee or experiencer, you know, it seems like it attracts a whole bunch of different beings and phenomena to them. Uh, and to be able to participate in that was, was great. So what do you think it was? Cloaked, <laughs> cloaked Bigfoot? Cloaked aliens? Garden gnomes? I, I, yeah, <laughs> haven't thought of the garden gnomes yet, but um, no, I've thought, you know, we I speculated, well, there's these creatures in that part of the country in folklore, like Native American folklore, it's supposed to be called the Puckwudgies, you know, you know maybe it's something to do with those, or um, my be- best guess was that, because I've, over the years doing, you know, re- research related to ET contact, I've come across people who've who've encountered what I refer to as a little foot, which is like typically, you know, three to maybe five foot tall hairy being that looks kind of like a small Bigfoot. Um, so maybe it was like that, but, um, but it, you know, they were just not fully materialized in our physical reality. They were like right on the edge of our dimension, if, you know, if that makes some sense, uh, you know, there's a lot of aspects to the physics of this that we obviously don't understand. Uh, that that was my best guess is we're dealing with interdimensional primates, you know, and, and how intelligent they were. I don't think they were just like monkeys. I think they're more possibly human-level intelligence or, you know, I, my impression was that they were very sentient and aware that we were watching them and they were announcing themselves to us in a way. And and also, to some degree, when they came crashing down, which is what made Lee coming come running out of there uh, yelling is like he, he had been down there for a, a little while just observing the branches where Raquel had told him and, and then this huge like a huge weight falls out of the sky the branches in front of him and and like he, he like freaks out you know but uh, when I came down there it was a it was a big movement but not not as big and surprising as that and Lee and Raquel were all already there so I kind of knew it was okay uh, but yeah I feel it was like interdimensional primates, <laughs> which sounds absurd, but think about this. Uh, the human species, unique in all the world on, on Earth, uh, has has created advanced technology, computers. We've done something no other species of life has done. So is it possible that maybe some other species of primate has developed some extraordinary capability that we're just not aware of and, and they can become interdimensional or something like that? So maybe it's Maybe it's just an aspect of evolution that we don't understand. Or maybe it has to do with advanced technology involved in cloaking or traveling between dimensions and they're part of some interdimensional civilization or maybe it is connected to extraterrestrials. I mean, in some way, I guess it is. But uh, I guess the other thing we thought is Raquel had the sense that maybe it was instead of distinct, even though we saw movement in distinct places as if it was distinct animals, uh, like at least one or two large ones and then maybe several smaller ones, uh, the, she had the feeling that it was like maybe one intelligence, that it was just one thing communicating with us or communing with us in some way. And so maybe it's some kind of uh, plasmic life form or some kind of poltergeist intelligent being. Or So I don't know what it was, but my feeling is more along the lines of interdimensional primates. And, and I'm using interdimensional in the sense of dimensions in the sense of parallel realities so because obviously you know we're not talking about length width and height we're talking about parallel realities that are separated from us by just a little bit maybe vibration or um
something. I don't know, but that's that's my feeling. And it some it it happened. I believe it happened because of the experience they're gathering, and because Debbie and Audrey, and because their contact with ETs and so forth. Um, but as to a more specific reason why it happened, why I was allowed to experience it, you know, I I can't say. But I'm very glad that it did happen. <laughs> Is that something you'd want to experience again? And it was also, it was a couple of days before that that I had my first UFO sighting, which was just a, a dim flash, like a, what do you call a power-up. Yes. Uh, that was, I, was, I was down on the beach, uh, on, on the lake there, with uh, like Travis and Audrey and Debbie and you know, several other, other people. And we were like just looking up at the sky, and almost directly ahead of, above me, I I saw this flash that was just brightening that I thought could be a satellite, could be a UFO. But this thing that flashed, I'm pretty sure was a UFO because, you know, it was stationary. There was no movement, as if it was a meteor or an airplane or a satellite or anything like that. And it was it was like a UFO just powering up, just to say hello, here I am, you know. And then then it was gone. Uh, uh, and then, you know, then then I've seen since then, uh, early 2016, I went to UFO Congress, and then I went to Sedona and went with Melinda Leslie. She does these sky tours in Sedona where you go out at night with uh, night vision binoculars and you look up in the sky and you can see things moving. So I've seen UFOs that way, but they ne- they never did anything really spectacular. Uh, you know, I think there was a power-up, but I don't know if I was really looking at it at exactly that time. But um, but so basically, 2015 was when I started, as far as my personal experiences with UFOs and the paranormal, and that's after, you know, from basically 1991 onward, I was seriously engaged in research. So it took me, you know, like 24 years basically of research before I actually experienced something for myself. So stick with it if you want to have your own experience. It sometimes takes a while. I love those power-ups. I really yeah. do. I, you know, the last time I had a good one was back in October. I was chatting with Eric Markham about, and Eric is part of my Space Out radio team, and I was talking to him on the phone after the show, and way to the northeast I had this power-up, and I asked it to turn on again. It did. And because you know, if 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 they're letting you see them, they are in contact with you. This is one thing yeah. that I have learned. And yeah. after about four or five of those power ups in a row, I asked it, "Could you fly over my house?" And it powered up. And then next thing I know, I, it went black, and I didn't see it. I'm like, "Can you power up again to show me where you are?" I asked that about two, three times, and then when it powered up again, it was closer to my house. And then closer to my house. Be damned if it didn't come right over my house. And it powered up right over my house. Powered up about 18, 19 times. It was awesome. You know? But what... I'll I'll tell you the story where I believe that these power-ups are extraterrestrial. Mm -hmm. In April of 2014, when I had my close encounter of the third kind... And I went outside my friend's yard about 10 o'clock at night after what I thought was a migraine. And it ended up being shapes pulsating in my head. 
and that hurt. Trust me, that hurt. Yeah. And we went outside, and I asked, oh, and my friend and I went outside, and I said, uh, you know, you called us outside. Can you show me where you are? And 150 yards away, the forest lit up like a Christmas tree. And on the third time, the uh, third and final time, the lights lit up for us. After about 30 seconds, the lights started powering up, powering down, powering up, powering down. And it did that about 8, 9, 10 times before the lights went off for good. Now, this thing is 150 yards on the ground. And previous to this, oh, man, my my wife and I, we'd go out on our patio anytime we wanted, and we would have power-ups always over our house, all sorts of power-ups over our house. And so when this ship did it on the ground, that was my final confirmation for me that, yeah, this isn't human. They're doing this on purpose. They're, it's like they're flying by, and because they can't wave from that distance up in the sky, that they're just going to be you know, powering up saying, hey, Dave, how you doing? Yeah, we're here. You know what I'm saying, Dave? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we have this. I mean, a lot of, you know, that's how they interact with us. I mean, people have a connection to these beings. That's something people have felt. That's something Dan Wright identified with the MUFON abduction transcription project. And now there's various terms for it, like starseed or, you know, some people believe they're ET human hybrids or whatever. And who knows what it is? I mean, it's it's just there's some kind of connection uh, between humans and these occupants. I feel that um, you know we've been trapped scientifically. I mean, I'm a big, big science lover. I mean, I, I love Cosmos. I love Carl Sagan. Um, but I think for a long time, the scientific community has been kind of stuck in this uh, reductionist materialism, which is the idea that matter and space and time and energy, that's what the universe is made out of. Um, but I think now we're coming to realize that, oh, actually, it's more about information and that consciousness may play some fundamental role. And consciousness is not just some emergent phenomenon that happens when neurons are organized in a certain way. Consciousness is actually something fundamental. And uh, perhaps we are all connected at that level, and uh, and that enables us to interact uh, with the occupants of these craft and and that's how they say hello. They just power up. <laughs> I got a quick question from Darren that I want to get to. He was asking about the UFO that I saw. Uh, the UFO was actually kind of camouflaged by trees, but what I did see was white light emanating from the ground, and at the center of where the, all this white light was emanating from, and this white light was the purest white light I'd ever seen. But what I remember of that white light was that even though it was so bright, we were not squinting while looking at it. Because usually you get a bright white light, you squint. Your eyes want to refract from all the light, not in this case. And at the center of where this white light was emanating from was a vertically standing blue cylinder in the most beautiful blue that I've ever seen. The blue was almost like the blue emergency lights on a police car, except a little bit darker. And this cylinder stood probably 20, 25 to 30 feet tall 
because the trees in the area are around 60 to 100 feet tall, big trees. And what I recall from this cylinder was that at the bottom of this cylinder, there was a black cloud that was rotating counterclockwise around it. And sometimes this black cloud would go all the like halfway up, then it would work its way down, and then halfway up. But as for the shape of the ship and what it looked like, I have no idea. So I just wanted to explain that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um the interesting the light that was bright but it didn't cause you to squint um bud hopkins uh one obs- observation he made was made with some of the balls of light people see that seem to actually be in possibly an entity or a probe floating through their home uh that that they they seem extraordinarily bright and yet they don't light up the room around them uh so there's there's obviously stuff that they these beings know about light um uh, or what we know know as light, you know, the physics of it that we don't understand yet. Uh, but, yeah, it's fascinating. Yes, I fully agree with that. You know, and the beauty of contact is we don't know when it's going to happen. You know, we don't know when it's going to happen. We don't know where it's going to happen, what time it's going to happen. But I can say this, you know, as someone who has been taken during the night and have had experiences during the day up close and personal with my wide eyes open, I would take a wide-eyed experience any day over questioning whether it was a dream or not, David. Yeah. Yeah, I understand. Uh, You don't want to be... I mean, so many experiencers are left uh, in a state of, you know, am I going crazy? Uh... I'm having these marks show up on my body. I thought I had a alien in my room, but there was no evidence behind apart from these marks or you know. So people are questioning, people have to question their sanity and people struggle with this. And so I encourage people if they get those marks on their body, take a photograph. You don't have to show it to anyone, just you know, put a ruler there, take a photo, document it, put it in a journal, keep it for future reference. Uh keep a journal just uh make note of any kind of uh ufo related dreams or experiences you have uh anything any paranormal experiences that might be related to this and just don't worry too much about it just document it and uh maybe later on uh when you something happens and you're questioning your sanity you can go back and say well yes this happened on this date this and that now i can see how that was related or this is part of the same pattern or phenomenon uh, so yeah, if if people keep a journal, that sometimes helps them uh, with those those experiences that that are hard to know about, you know. And sometimes I was very, Raquel during during our thing with the invisible apes. She said, um, you know, it was it was nice to have an experience during daylight, uh, you know, with with friends in a gully, you know, right next to, to a house there where you could. She had the choice of walking away from it at any time, and um, she was fully aware. She, you know, none of us felt like that we were under control. Uh, you know, of course, yeah. I mean, even looking back on it, we realized, well, no, our behavior seemed like it was in control. Because in a lot of UFO encounters, uh, people do feel that, uh, you know, especially after the fact, when they look back and said, "Well, why did I do that? That didn't make any sense." But um, 
you know, we, in this situation, we didn't feel like we were being controlled or manipulated or that anything like that. We we felt that we had our free will and we were engaging with with this these invisible apes or whatever they were. Um, uh, and it was it was great to have that as kind of a confirmation. And it was in daylight. It wasn't scary, and it was very clear that something was alive but invisible, and it was moving the plants. It was wonderful. So are you a big believer then that this whole interdimensional landscape that it seems like a lot of researchers and scientists are very hesitant to tap into, do you think it's a very real prospect of creatures of extraterrestrial descent, of UFOs, of Bigfoot, or whatever else is supernatural? And I don't use the term supernatural, and I could get on into a whole state you know thing of why why i'm I'm that way, but I usually call it paranormal, but you know whatever the case I mean because I think it's part of nature, all of this is part of nature, even our own technology and stuff is part of nature, but we don't think of it that way most of the time but um yeah uh I think that you know this it connects to the out of body experience to to this idea to when you know, people go out of body and they say, wait. You know, so, so, and many of those experiences, people see, oh, I still have a body. I'm even wearing clothing, you know, and yet my physical body is in the bed with the, the pajamas on in the bed. And yet I seem to have a duplicate of that. On, you know, and it's the, the interdimensional thing is there's, it seems like there's different levels and it's like, um, it's just an aspect of life. I mean, uh, that there's more to life, uh, to living things uh, than we understand then we understand it's not just the things made up of chemical matter that we can see that you know no, there's other life around us and there's other for lack of a better term parallel realities or other dimensions or layers or levels or vibrational overtones or whatever uh and i you know i i there are people who try to connect it to the to the other dimensions, like you know, theories of super strings say that there's 11 dimensions or something, and people try to, and I'm not, I think it's premature to say that those dimensions necessarily have anything to do with these dimensions. I mean, I think uh, the best we can do is have people describe their experiences, but let's keep an open mind about exactly what the nature of these other dimensions, for lack of a better term, is. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's. You know, I, I talk about it. It's a spiritual reality, and it's uh, there's many levels to it. And uh, you know, the physical universe we know is just one level of a larger spiritual reality. <laughs> we only got about ninety seconds left with you, Dave, and I want to just say thank you for for coming on the show and giving us the full three hours and really enlightening us on the aspects of ET contact, of the research that goes into it, what it's all about. It really was a, a really informative program. Thank you. Thank you. I just want to say that I hope people, um, in spite of whatever fear or trauma that they've gone through, I hope that they choose um, to be skeptical of of the fear mongers out there and, and to uh, say maybe it's you know, maybe the, the world isn't as bad as I thought, and I should just start giving people the benefit of the doubt. And, um, 
and uh, not not necessarily see anything, everything as good versus evil or anything. It's just life, uh, and uh, live it. <laughs> Absolutely, and we do have to keep that open mind because reality and the unbelievable sometimes walk a very fine line. Dave, let me ask you this one quick question. How can people get a hold of you? Where can they see their artwork, and where can they find out more about free? Okay. Uh, free, well, um, that, yeah, I wish I had all, all the websites in front of me. I don't, but um, you can reach me at my Facebook site, uh, uh, which is, I think it's facebook.com slash David W. Chase, C-H-A-C-E. Um, uh, I don't tend to add a lot of friends, so you may friend request me, but don't worry, just message me, because you can message me, and if, if your privacy settings are right, I should be able to receive your message. Um, uh, I like to keep my friends list small, though. Um, uh, and then free... Uh, the Dr. Edgar Mitchell Foundation for Research into Extraterrestrial Encounters. There's there's a free experiencer site uh, page uh, and group, I guess it's on, on Facebook. But you can just like um, uh, Dr. Edgar Mitchell Foundation for Research into Extraterrestrial Encounters. You could Google it, and I'm sure that'll uh, get you the website and all the information you need. Appreciate that, Dave. You hold on for a minute or two here because I got to wrap this up. If you're listening in on the Space Out Radio side, you are hearing Mr. Ron Bumblefoot Thaw crank it up with Little Brother is watching. Yes, Bumblefoot is the official music of Spaced Out Radio. You can catch him on our website. Tomorrow night on the show, starting at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern Time, Everett Themer and Eric Markham are going to join us. We are talking paranormal journalism, paranormal science, where it should head in 2017. Hard to believe we're here already. If you want to listen to this show and others, go to our YouTube channel, Spaced Out Radio Show. Tune us in on TuneIn. Download this show and others on iTunes. Good to have you along for the ride. Everyone in the chat rooms and at hashtag Spaced Out Radio. Thank you so much. We will do it all again in exactly 21 hours from now. Have a good one.